Okay, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. I'm Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, back with you again, having returned from my awesome trip to England. London moot was fantastic. Uh, I don't know if you guys, uh, uh, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, you'll say I was uh, updating all weekend uh, with both the awesome time we had on Friday and our literary tour of London that uh, that Darren Gray led, and then, of course, on Saturday itself during the conference. Uh, it was a spectacular conference, one-day conference, but there was so much. Every single paper was really, really good. Um, and there were uh, uh, there were lots of things. So Blue was saying you didn't see anything about live broadcasts. No, we weren't able to. We did. We weren't able to get the um, uh, to get video equipment up to actually. Bro- we were thinking, hoping of broadcasting some of them, but we weren't able to do that. Um, though Blue Wizard, I have to tell you, the uh, the one thing that the people over there in Europe were really hoping for was that maybe we could do a special broadcast, and we were thinking we'd have to do it at nine a.m. Uh, England time, uh, because then uh, it would be, you know, sometime between 1 and 4 a.m. for everybody in America, right? Which is uh, uh, what they were kind of hoping uh, for, for a little turn, uh, turnabout. Since, of course, right now, as always, you know, it's uh, 2.45 over there uh, in uh, in the U.K., uh, so, I mean, <laughs> almost every conversation I had with people over there started with, yeah, so, uh, sorry, I'm never able to make any of your, of your shows live. And I'm like, dude, it is not your fault. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, no, it was great. I had a wonderful time meeting folks and uh, uh, and it was, a, it, was a, it was an excellent conference and everything it was really, really great. So uh, 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 thanks for everybody who was able to come out to that. Uh, and for those of you who were not able to go, Fear not. Sooner or later, hopefully, uh, we will come nearer to you uh, with one of our regional moots as we continue to expand our regional moot program. Speaking of which, we have an official announcement of uh, uh, for our next for our next moot. So we have the next regional moot is going to be in a little bit because coming up soonest now actually is Myth Moot uh, at the end of June. Um, so that's again the twenty uh, 21st to the 24th of June. Uh, but the next regional moot uh, is going to be in Northern California. We have Bay Moot uh, that's going to be based in Oakland, actually. Um, but right there in the San Francisco area. Uh, uh, so that's going to be really, really cool. Uh, I'm, uh, I, I've been wanting to get out to California for regional events for a while. And we're going to do two of them this year. Uh, one, this one, Baymoot in Northern California, and we're going to do a Southern California one as well. Uh, but Baymoot is official. Registration is open, and you can see the details on the theme of the conference and the call for papers and everything. Uh, so uh, so that's going to be really cool. So we have that the date on that is August 18th. So August 18th, 2018, Baymoot uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area in Northern California. Uh, is uh, is now officially open uh, for registration. So if you're anywhere around that area, love to see you come out to Baymoot. Okay. Uh, oh, and also for those of you who have been asking about the schedule for uh, for Mythmoot, it is coming soon. Uh, they're finalizing this. Okay. Well, hang on. I say finalizing. They are finishing up. Uh, the current draft of the schedule. For any of you who have ever organized events before, you know that you know schedules are always subject to change, and especially a long and complicated event like Mythmoot, uh, the schedule is always very subject to change, and there are lots of changes 
well in advance and at the last second. Uh, some people I know have been in touch with us and been asking questions like, you know, can you send me the schedule so that I know which days to attend? I'd be really careful about that because we don't really know for sure. We, we, we can't promise we're going to be sticking to the exact day, you know, daily schedule that we have because there will have to be some changes. There always are. Uh, but anyway, just for you to be able to see exactly how much awesomeness is going to be, to get a glimpse of the levels of awesomeness that will be occurring at MythMoot this year, uh, the schedule will be out soon. So anyway, so that's, uh, uh, that's the... That's the goal. So, yeah, JJ says just attend all of them. That's pretty much that's pretty much the recommended strategy, really. Okay. So, um, anyway, so that's um, that's that's pretty. So, Mythmoot in June, schedule coming out soon. Baymoot in August, official and ready for registration. Uh, coming up soon after that, we have uh, uh, the, the Southern California moot that I mentioned. Uh, is we're looking. Uh, we don't have an official date. Uh, uh, for that one yet, but we're looking at uh, uh, October, uh, late October. Uh, we're having uh, uh, Middle Moot, uh, which was in Iowa last year and uh, is going to be shifting down to Kansas City this year. So that will be uh, hopefully in the beginning uh, of October. So we're, uh, we're and, and Charlotte, as I mentioned, North Carolina. And there are other things that we're working on. We're still uh, working on Denver. We're working on Seattle. Uh, so, and of course, TexMoot will be coming up again beginning of the year. Uh, so we have a lot of really fun and exciting opportunities uh, for Moots. Like I said, if you're not able to make, you know, I'm not trying to make people needlessly jealous. In fact, remember, the regional Moots are, you know, part of the motivation for that is, you know, lots of people have always, whenever I talk about MythMoot um, every year, uh, people are like, oh man, I wish I could make it over there, but I can't travel so far. Like, I get it. Not everybody can travel that far, right? Um, it's often hard to, you know, get the time free and, and make the journey. But, uh, so we're coming to you, right? Not to everybody's door. We can't have one in every state and in every town. Uh, but we're trying to hit, you know, major regions where we can uh, uh, be as close as we can to as many people as we can. So anyway, so that's the plan. Okay, so, oh, oh, we're having Twitch audio problems? Oh, dear. Huh. That's a little strange. Can people hear me? You guys hear me on Twitch all right? Yeah? It looks like it's okay. My software seemed to suggest it's all right. No? Okay. Um, Discord is good. Okay. And Twitch is good. Okay, good. Looks like everything's fine. Sometimes people report a problem and... It's hard to tell at first whether it's the person or somebody else. So, okay, cool. Well, I'm sure we'll work through it. Okay, anyway, so thanks very much, uh, at, at, for again, for everybody who participated in London Moot. Uh, new events coming up. It's going to be awesome. One thing I wanted to sort of apologize or sort of explain slash apologize for in advance. So, okay, uh, I have sometimes, somewhere on my homeward journey, I seem to have slightly injured my back a little bit. And for those of you who are old, crusty people like me, uh, know kind of what that's like. So I'm, if I seem to be kind of straight or rigid or uh, talking funny at any point here tonight, it's because I'm dealing with like some strange back pain and have myself propped up in unusual ways uh, and can't like breathe deeply or else it hurts. So just, again, bear, bear with If it gets too painful to listen to me, let me know. 
but I should be able to make that. Also, I will probably be making fewer hand gestures than usual as waving my right arm around is a little painful. So anyhow, it's, uh, it's all, it's all good. Um, so yeah, I'm fine as long as I don't really move or breathe very much. So it's all, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Tim is suspecting I was captured and tortured while in England. It is so, it is so not true. So not true. Um, anyway, yeah. Okay. So like I say, I know, I appreciate uh, 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 being around other old folks like me who understand about this kind of thing. Uh, I was just earlier this evening surrounded by teenagers who are all giving me these vague and pitying looks. And I'm like, you just wait. <laughs> you just wait. Someday you'll get it. All right. Okay. So let us get back to the text because two weeks ago yeah two weeks ago we were in right in the middle uh of uh of butterbur's letter so um uh yeah mad violinist not very bendable is exactly what i am tonight i'm really i'm really uh, uh feeling the parallel there um okay all right so um so tonight we're looking at so the the title of uh, the title of tonight's class is the truth will out uh, because of course finally uh, th- things are the the revelations about Aragorn and his true nature and his true name uh, of course finally come out after at the end of this long conversation that we've been looking at now for several weeks uh, between primarily Aragorn and Frodo though of course we've been looking at Butterbur's interjection um, for the uh, uh, for the last. Um, uh, for the last couple of weeks. So, uh, but first, so th- since we've been out for two weeks, there have been a bunch of posts on the discussion board. Um, I thought rather than trying to quote many of them at length, I just wanted to kind of touch on a few points from a few of them. Um, so I just have a couple notes here today. Um, uh, Yardzard wanted me to talk about the free, and I, but can I just say, by the way, I love the fact that somebody's complaining about the fact that I skipped something. Like there was a phrase in one sentence I didn't talk about. So I was like, Hey, come on. Can we go back to that? Please. Let's not skip over that. So fine, fine, fine. Let's do that. Um, and that is that I didn't comment on Aragorn's insult to, to, to Butterbur, um, who only remembers his own name because people shouted, shouted at him all day. Um, what's up with that? How do we understand that? And the main thing that, uh, um, that, oh yeah, JJ, please don't, please don't make me laugh. <laughs> please, that's the, that is absolutely the worst. The only thing that could be worse than laughing, uh, would be sneezing. I really hope I don't sneeze or I might end up on the floor. So we'll see what we can do anyway. Um, uh, yeah. So, so Yardzard was concerned, basically he was the sort of initial reading of this was that, uh, Aragorn was accusing Butterbur of being stupid, which of course, among other things, apart from being rude, uh, is also, uh, in contradiction, of course, to what Gandalf says about Butterbur later on. Um, uh, you know, that he can see through a brick wall in time. So, um, or that, you know, in that Frodo, uh, when, you know, when, when he tells Frodo that, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't know the Brelanders very well if he thinks that old Barlaman is stupid. My point here is that I, I don't think that this is an insult about stupidity. It's, this, this is not about intelligence. Um, uh, remember the context. This is, this is, first of all, the first sentence that Aragorn says when he steps out of the shadows, right? In response to Butterbur saying, um, 
Uh, you know, you may know your own business, but but if I were you, I wouldn't take up with a ranger, right? And Aragorn says, and who would you take up with? A fat innkeeper who only remembers his own name because people shouted at him all day. So now, uh, this is not, so he's not saying a fat, stupid innkeeper. I mean, that would be one way to kind of summarize it, but I don't think that, that it's accurate. He's not, he is not maligning Butterbur's intelligence here. He is bringing up his forgetfulness, which remember he's like, so it's, it's his forgetfulness that he's talking about and which Butterbur himself has just confessed, right? So Butterbur has come in and confessed that he had this letter that Gandalf asked him to give it to him and that he forgot, right? He forgot to send it along. Um, so uh, Aragorn is making a, a contrast, right? An unflattering contrast. Let me not make that hand gesture. Uh, he is making an unflattering contrast, right? Between uh, himself and Butterbur, right? Um, and and again, I think that what he's kind of uh, 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 criticizing him with here, right? What he's jibing him with, again, is not like, you're so dumb, but rather, look, how much help are you, Right. Look, which I mean, you're so forgetful. You didn't even you're like you were given one job, Butterbur, one job to send this letter to Frodo and you couldn't do it. Right. You forgot about it. Um, and so he's emphasizing that he's exaggerating the forgetfulness of Butterbur. Uh, you only even remember your own name because people shouted at you all day. Right. Um, so, again, it's not the general intellect, I think, of Butterbur that is under assault here. Uh, it is his incompetence. Right. Um, like fine assistant to Gandalf, he has shown himself to be, right? Um, uh, if so, uh, anyway, so that that's, that, remembering the context, that's, I think, definitely how I, uh, uh, how I um, understand that. Um, yeah, good. Um, and he is, uh, he, Mary, I, I think he is a little tetchy, right? And, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm almost wondering here, When you look back on this scene, none of the good guys, even Aragorn, has really covered themselves with glory, right? I mean, we've been talking about what a what a really quite bad job Frodo has been doing of being on the lamb. Um, we, of course, are just now talking about uh, how um, uh, Butterbur has not impressed anybody, right, with his uh, ability to help Gandalf or to, to help Frodo. Um, but Strider also... Right. He, you know, no Butterbur wouldn't, you know, was was not going to let him come in. But seriously, like there was nothing else he could do. He failed to prevent the thing that happened in the common room. Right. He surely there must be a part of Aragorn that's thinking, you know, maybe maybe I could have played this differently. Right. Maybe I could have found some way to step in a little bit sooner uh, and uh, and could have. Um could have uh, could have done something a little bit more. So I'm, I'm wondering even if there's a little bit of uh, of if, if that might perhaps even sort of the knowledge that even he himself has not uh, perhaps done perfectly well uh, might also be kind of sharpening his irritation to some extent. Um, now, JJ, you're right. I mean, I, I, I'm not sh- saying that I necessarily think that breaking into their room by force, uh, you know, like overpowering Butterbur and forcing his way into their room would have necessarily been, you know, the uh, the straight path to their hearts and trust. Uh, I agree with that. 
Um, but he's had opportunities, right? He could have spoken to them outside the, the, the town, right? He could have spoken to them before they got to the inn. He could, I mean, he's had chances, right? He could have initiated conversation with Frodo significantly earlier, right? Before Pippin built up his head of steam, right? I mean, there's, there's, I, I gotta think that there are a few other options that he could have, uh, that he could have taken, um, uh, uh, again, I'm not saying that he necessarily just forces his way past Butterbur. Uh, but again, I don't think it necessarily had to have come to that. Um, but anyhow, um, uh, okay. So, so anyway, so th- that's just to say, so my, my main point there is I certainly don't think that he is accusing, uh, Butterbur simply of being stupid, but at the same time, as we talked about a little bit last time, I think that Although he speaks insultingly to Butterbur, I think that we do still. I don't think he means it all, all the way. I mean, it's not totally different from the way that friends talk to each other. And I know that he and Butterbur are not really friends. Um, certainly not, you know, companions and, and, and uh, you know, uh, sort of joking around with each other like we see the hobbits do all the time. Uh, but yet still, I think that, there, you know, there's something in this kind of insulting language. Uh, that um, uh, that I think is um, sort of less abrasive uh, in 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 this in this particular social context than it might perhaps seem uh, to us. But anyway, okay. Uh, but this leads me to Marielle's question, uh, which was, you know, does Aragorn know that his kin are dead? She was thinking about the scene when Aragorn is reflecting on the Nazgul and about how terrible the Nazgul are and everything and how we were reflecting that this seems to be him remembering uh, some kind of very painful personal encounter with the Nazgul. Uh, And she's wondering if this might also perhaps be some reflection on the fact that those same Nazgul have probably recently killed uh, several of his kin. Uh, uh, Marielle was pointing out that if we look in Appendix B in the Tale of Years, um, it was only uh, a, a week ago, less than a week ago, that um, uh, that is before this scene, that the um, Black Riders came and scattered the Dúnedain that were guarding uh, the Shire. So there's already been a confrontation between the uh, the, the 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 Rangers, which are uh, which are you know sort of the 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 external bounders, right? You've got the Shire bounders, uh, but you've got the Rangers outside them, keeping off the really dangerous things, um, and that they they have been scattered by the Black Riders when the Black Riders come in. And Mary was saying, presumably, you know, some many of them must have been killed uh, during these confrontations, um, and that perhaps that's one of the things that he's reflecting on. Would he even know? She was asking, you know, would news have reached him yet? I would think yes. So as far as that question is, that specific question is concerned, do I think that he would know about it if it had happened? Yes, I do think he would know about it if it had happened. Um, would he, um, could he be sort of, refl- and, and, and by the way, let me explain the reason why I think that. It's been days, right? I mean, it's been long enough for, even if he was not there, um, it's been long enough for word to get through to him. And he's obviously around Bree here uh, and around the main road. I don't think to the other Dunedain he would be impossible to find. Uh, so someone surely must have come and told him. He knows all about the movements of the riders. Presumably he knows that they've been in conflict um, with the Dunedain already. So uh, I'm, 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 I'm thinking he's got to know 
that it's happened. Um, so, Marielle, I think that that is a perfectly valid thing um, for us to be thinking about. Now, it's a little tricky, right? Because that detail um, of the confrontation between the uh, the Nazgul and the rangers guarding the edges of the Shire wasn't written at the time that Tolkien wrote this scene, right? And I don't even mean the earlier version when it was still Trotter the Hobbit with the wooden shoes um, who is having this conversation with Frodo. Even after it changes to Strider, uh, the ranger, He's still, uh, well, even after his change to Strider, the human ranger, uh, uh, before it even eventually then finally changes to Strider, um, he's still, he, that, that, that concept is a late concept. A lot of those details in Appendix B are part of the sort of the later working out and ironing through of all the details. Um, but that doesn't make it inaccurate, right? That doesn't make it inappropriate, I think. Um, it's one of those things that Tolkien is really, really good at, is accommodating his story, accommodating the prose of his story uh, to to revisions, right? I mean, Tolkien is like the king of retcon, so um, it, I think that, that it does add a really interesting layer uh, in that way to, uh, uh, to, to remember. And Darren had a really interesting post, which I commend to you, uh, on the contrast between Aragorn and Gandalf's Bree Town strategies, uh, how Aragorn is secretive and Gandalf brash in particular. Uh, he was contrasting, looking at some particular uh, moments of contrast uh, between how Aragorn is always popping in unexpectedly, right? And nobody sees him coming or going and nobody really knows who he is. Apparently, nobody even knows his real name, right? What his right name is, I've never heard. So Aragorn has never, he's not even given a false name for himself, right? He is just content to be a completely nameless vagabond, right? Whom they've given a name, which he's adopted, right? So he is consent to, to, to go around saying, I am around here, I am called Strider, right? But even Butterbur, who has known him presumably for years on and off, right, has not, like, Butterbur knows he has never even given a name for himself. And that's pretty secretive, right? Um, so he is not only mysterious in the sense of nobody knows his business, nobody knows where he's coming from or where he's going, um, but he's also explicitly mysterious, right? Like, has never introduced himself anywhere. Um, uh, <laughs> yes, just JJ, careful now. That was a little too funny. But yes, uh, the Prancing Pony is like the anti-cheers where nobody knows his name. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> no, no humor. No humor. Uh, anyway, right. Yeah. Um, so, and Mario, I agree. I mean, how sketchy is that, right? Like to, to never even have given, I mean, he could at least have given a fake name, right? So his, um, his, his approach has been to be the super secretive man of mystery, whereas Gandalf is very open, right? Despite the fact that obviously traveling conjurers and whatnot are not looked upon kindly, that they don't like uncanny things in Bree, everybody knows that Gandalf is a wizard, 
right? Um, and Butterbur is willing to vouch for him openly, even though he obviously acknowledges, uh, Butterbur, uh, that there are many people that are not going to think kindly of, of a wizard, right? Um, and yet Butterbur is willing to say that he's a friend of mine, whether or no. Um, but nevertheless, that's, that still shows you how open. Okay, so Gandalf, not only in using his right name, or at least the right name by which he is known in that region, um, but he, um, uh, but he is he is uh, very open, and and uh, uh, Darren was even contrasting their particular approaches with Butterbur, right? How you know Strider is like often dark corners of the common room, and you, you don't see him come and you don't see him go. Whereas Gandalf will uh, will walk right into Butterbur's private room without knocking, right? Uh, and uh, and you know uh, ask him to do a favor for them. Um, so um, anyway, it's. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, it, it's, it's, I think that's a really good, uh, distinction between the two of them. I think that, you know, Darren makes a really good contrast between the two of them. And I agree with Darren that there's, there's not much, it's, it, you can see why Butterbur has such a very different relationship with the two of them, right? You can tell which one sort of fits Butterbur better and which one, which, which kind of approach he's more comfortable with, right? Um, yeah, so I thought that that was a really great contrast. And thanks again, Darren. Darren made this post on the discussion board on Thursday, the day I was uh, uh, flying over to uh, London uh, for his conference. Uh, Darren did such an awesome job organizing London Moot. It was great. Uh, and gave a great paper, too. He great And uh, gave a paper which uh, a lot of you would be really interested in. He was talking about uh, adaptation of narrative into gameplay and some of the challenges of uh, video uh, video game uh, gameplay mechanics and the way that those are often in tension uh, with storytelling over the course of games. And I thought that was, uh, it, w- it was, it was a really thoughtful and interesting talk. Um, uh, yeah. He was asked, this is the one I, 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 I tweeted this. Someone asked him uh, what, uh, what he suggested uh, they could do to improve shadows of Mordor. And his answer was chuck it in the bin. <laughs> I was like, Oh, See, there you go. Tough but fair. Um, anyway, cool. All right. So <laughs> I will. Uh, uh, let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. So let's go back to the letter. So we were. Uh, I, I I put the body of the letter up again because I wanted to just kind of read through the letter again briefly. It's been two weeks. So I want to read through the letter again briefly um, and then just remember the frame of mind of Gandalf, yours in haste is sort of, I think, the theme of this letter, right? And I think that we can see, as we were talking about at the end of class last time, uh, uh, some, some, some places in which um, uh, Gandalf is clearly uh, in haste as he's writing, right? Dear Frodo, bad news has reached me here. I must go off at once. You had better leave Bag End soon and get out of the Shire before the end of July at latest. I will return as soon as I can, and I will follow you if I find that you are gone. Leave a message for me here if you pass through Bree. You can trust the landlord, Butterbur. You may meet a friend of mine on the road, a man, lean, dark, tall, by some called Strider. He knows our business and will help you. Make for Rivendell. There I hope we may meet again. If I do not come, Elrond will advise you. And JJ, I agree. This is a a significant step up from uh, Push Along. Uh, yeah, exactly, which was what he was saying in the very first draft of this letter. Yeah, okay. Yours in haste, Gandalf. Now, we'll go to the postscripts. P.S. Do not 
Use it again, not for any reason whatever. Do not travel by night. Okay. So, um, yeah, interesting. Uh, Mario is pointing out the, uh, uh, she loves the, if you pass through Brie, right? Uh, as if there's much chance of their not passing through Brie. Uh, in fact, Mario, what's really funny about that in retrospect is that for them not to pass through Brie, they would have to be being very stealthy, right? Uh, it's almost like Gandalf is giving them way too much credit, uh, for being stealthy and, uh, managing to hide themselves successfully. Um, he, he has a, this Gandalf has a, a, a very cheerfully optimistic view of how Frodo is going to perform on the lamb, right? Because, um, you know, maybe we should bypass the town and stay discreetly, uh, you know, in the woods and pass by so nobody knows we came through. Like that even occurred to them, right? Instead of coming in and going to the inn and hanging out in the common room with the company, right? Yeah, yeah, not not too much hope of uh, of of that. Um, yeah, way too much credit. I agree, Lady Shmebiwak. Um, yeah, yeah, um. Yeah, exactly, John. They, they they could at least have have like yeah, stayed in Archit or something. There are lots of ways in which they could have perhaps uh, tried to stay out of the spotlight just a little bit more. Um Yeah, Bruinier, exactly. It never even occurred to him apparently to say, Oh yeah, P P P P P P S don't go to the comedy. Stay in your rooms if you're coming to the Prancing Pony, at least. Um Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, um, but so back to his PS, do not use it again. Not for any reason, whatever, do not travel by night. Um, of course we can see what this shows, right? Um, this shows that, um, he knows about the ring wraiths when he wrote this, right? Um, this, so the, the instructions in the PS are plainly pointed. Well, in retrospect, that is from our point of view, knowing what we now know, it's very clear why he's written this, right? But because both of those two things are very specific ring wraith related advice, right? The ring wraiths are stronger at night, uh, and uh, the, you know they're, they're they're stronger at night and can 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 you know sense you better in the night, uh, and and also. Of course, they're going to be drawn to the ring if you use the ring. Um, so this is a particularly sort of, um, I don't know, frustrating, embarrassing sort of thing for Frodo to be reading. I mean, how many times has he used the ring? How many times has he put on the ring? Uh, I guess he's only actually put it on, is it just twice? Once at Tom Bombadil's house and then once in the common room? Yeah. Well, twice, almost two other times, right? But he's only actually put the ring on twice. Um, uh, but of course, you'll notice something else here is that he doesn't tell Frodo more. Um, he, unlike Aragorn, seems to take the Gildor school of not telling Frodo more than he needs to know, lest terror keep him from his road, right? Um, uh yeah, so, um, so yeah, he doesn't he he doesn't he doesn't give them any, uh, he doesn't give them any excuse, 
right? Any excuse for any explanation that is uh, for what he's talking about there, right? Um, His exclamation points make it clear that he really means it, right? Um, And that there is presumably some peculiar reason, you know, some very particular reason why he is urging this at this point. Um, But it's not obvious, right? It's not, it's not clear. It's not explicit. He doesn't say some, someone is coming after you, right? That, um, and I think, remember, we, we talked about this last time as well. Uh, you know, it's not Gandalf's uh, itinerary here. Um, he confidently believed he would be able to get back long before this. Um, and also, the ring rates were still far away uh, from the Shire. So, knowing how much lead time he had, it makes a little bit of sense. Um that um, uh, that he would not give them more. Because why terrify Frodo into thinking they're already at his doorstep? They weren't at his doorstep. And uh, had he left before the end of July, he would never have come anywhere close to them. Um, but he knows they're in the area. So him making these injunctions, I think, is not necessarily sort of foretelling Finn, um, but is instead just kind of... Better safe than sorry, right? And the don't travel by night is important because it's counterintuitive. Even if you are doing a good job of, you know, being on the run, it might occur to you to say, like, well, in order to keep a low profile, it's travel by night, right? Exactly as Frodo did do at the beginning, right? Um, uh, but um, anyway, yeah. Um, and yeah, he is being evasive, Marielle. And I do suspect, as I believe you suggested earlier on, um, that, um, uh, and as Aragorn was just suggesting, was he worried that the letter might be intercepted? Uh, yeah, he does not say much that is, I mean, we, we were noticing last time, um, he knows our business and will help you, right? We can see him being evasive, not only in a similar way to how Strider was being evasive, but even using the same evasive words, right? Business there uh, to talk about the quest of the ring. Um, so I think that it's, and notice he doesn't say what the bad news is, right? Or exactly why he needs to get out of the Shire by the end of July at latest. Um, and, uh, or why they will need help, or uh, why they're going to Rivendell. I mean, no real details other than I mean, other than the fact that Frodo's leaving and that he's going to Rivendell um, are mentioned here, right? So yes, it does seem that he is not willing to trust too much to writing. But I don't think that's the re- the P.S. His lack of alluding to the Black Rider specifically there. Um, or really saying anything about pursuit at all, or, you know, why he's giving that, those particular pieces of advice. Um, I think that that's less about the interception of the letter and more about not wanting to freak Frodo out over much, which again, I think would have been, um, uh, overkill had Frodo received the letter in July. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, good. Um, all right, cool. Um, let's look at the, P, uh, the PPS. And by the way, even just the number of postscripts itself suggests that he was writing in haste, right? He finished his letter and then he's like, oh, wait, wait, hang on. I should get, let me make sure to, to tell him to not travel by night and whatever he, he does not to use it again. Right. And then he's like, oh yeah. So I gave the description, right. Which, uh, again, as, uh, Erokeb is pointing out, perhaps not the most perfectly illuminating or, uh, it's not going to necessarily limit it to, you know, uh, narrow it down too very much, right. To call him, uh, lean, dark, and tall by some called Strider. And now the name of course will help. Um, but, um, but still they're not going to really know him and know him, uh, if they meet him on the road, uh, just by calling him lean, dark, and tall. So he's like, oh yeah, they, they better make sure it's the real Strider, right? Make sure that it's the real Strider. There are many strange men on the roads. His true name is Aragorn. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. Okay. Um, yeah, Mad Violinist, that description of a strider is very similar in kind to the, uh, uh, to the uh, uh, perky chap with the bright eye description that he gives of Frodo. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Um, okay, so he gives two pieces of information here, right? Make sure that it's the real. Okay. He gives a piece of advice, right? Make sure that it's the real strider. Uh, don't go being gullible and taking up with the first stranger you meet thinking that it's, you know, this is the guy I'm telling you about. Um, and, uh, and he gives him two pieces of information, right? His true name is Aragorn. And then he just quotes the poem right now here again i think we can see significantly that gandalf is in haste right he is not in too much haste to write the entire poem out um but he is to explain it why did he write the whole poem i mean it is a short poem i agree brunier um it is uh it it, it is a short poem the function of this poem in retrospect is clear, right? Aragorn's going to quote a line from it in a minute. Uh, and that will be a confirmation, right? If he knows this poem, right? This poem proves his identity. The knowledge of this poem proves his identity, but Gandalf hasn't even given any instructions about that. He just randomly puts this poem in. His true name is Aragorn. All that is gold is not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost, right? Um, Okay, uh, so had had Frodo been given a little bit more information, maybe he would know to ask Strider, you know, is there a poem, you know, like associated with you in some way? Or is it, are, are there some verses that I might want to hear right now, right? I mean, he could find some way uh, to ask this as a kind of password, right? Um, but... Um, 
but JJ, I agree with you too. I also think he hasn't given those instructions and perhaps Gandalf thinks it doesn't need it. Right. Cause let's, let's, um, let's look at the poem. All right. Um, what does the poem say? All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. Now, one thing we can see, this poem is eight lines long, right? And it's divide, It's divided into two halves syntactically, right? We've got a period at the end of line four and another period at the end of line eight, right? Uh, so we have two sentences in this poem. You always have to pay attention to syntax. This is one of my big pet peeves, right? Lots of people just sort of read the lines of a poem as if they were... Uh, just like a, a random series of images. And I know that there's some modern poetry that's written like that. Tolkien's poetry is almost never like that. Um, this is never just a, a bunch of images. This is a sentence, right? Um, there are two things that are being said in this poem. So what's the first one? Um, the first one is these four parallel clauses, right? Notice how, uh, again, we have those... Uh, the punctuation at the end of the line, uh, um, all of those lines are interesting, right? And we see the same pattern, uh, comma, semicolon, comma, period. So those first four lines are associated together, but the semicolon breaks them down into two sets of two, uh, of two lines, right? All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost is the first pairing, right? And it's interesting that that's because pa- it's, it's not paired by rhyme, um, Rhyming couplets is a thing that Tolkien does a lot. All of the way of Lathian is written in rhyming cup in rhyming couplets, but he doesn't use that here, right? So it's not rhyme that's connecting these together. Again, it's 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 syntax. The semicolon tells us to 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 group those two together and to separate them from the old that is strong does not wither, deep roots are not reached by the frost. Um so Are you here in the rhythm of this, by the way? Notice anything interesting about this? What does this sound like or not sound like? But anyway, come back to that in a second. Those first two lines. Um, yes, Matt, great observation. Um, we have um, the, the lines three and four, especially, are both winter metaphors, right? The old that is strong does not wither. So this idea of like the, 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 the old tree, which is not withering deep roots are not reached by the frost, right? So you've got the thing that is strong enduring through winter, right? Through winter and through age. Fourth Dauntless, you're exactly right. This is not Hobbit meter. This is not the same meter that we've been seeing in most of the the poems that we've been getting, the Hobbit poems that we've been getting, which are are, are fairly dependable uh, iambic tetrameter, right? Four beat iambic lines, uh, like the drinking song, like the walking song. Um, this is not in that meter. Um, yeah, good, good. Um, so. And you're exactly right, JJ. It is triplet notes. Um, it's not iambic or... So we've had the, the iambic feel, right, of the Hobbit poetry. We've had the trochaic feel of the Tom Bombadil rhythm, right? 
Bombadil, Tom Bombadillo. Um, we don't get either one of those here. We get that triplet feel. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. Bum, 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 bum. Yes, exactly. Anapest is what it is. That's the dominant uh, uh, rhythm of these lines. Uh, Anapest is quite unusual. Dr. Seuss loves Anapest. Tolkien much more rarely uses Anapest. Um, uh, you may, I mean, like, uh, you know, the Sneetches, uh, 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 the Grinch, those are all in, uh, Anapestic Tetrameter is one of Dr. Seuss's favorite meters. He does it wonderfully. Um, Tolkien rarely uses Anapest. Certainly this is the first, I'm pretty sure this is the first Anapestic poem, uh, that we have come across, uh, in the Lord of the Rings. Okay. But I'm jumping all over the place here. Uh, back to those winter images, right? So, so uh, I agree that that you know that old withering uh, and the uh, and and the, the 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 winter frost, right? Um, and so both of them have that sense of that sense of waiting, right? Like the 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 old thing which is lingering there, but if it's strong. It remains and it doesn't wither, um, especially in the the old that is strong does not wither. The immediate juxtaposition of the old that is strong not withering being uh, uh, juxtaposed to deep roots, right, um, makes you think of an old tough tree. Old tree roots are extremely uh, strong, right? Are extremely tough, uh, and they cling and they can't be uprooted, um, even if the tree itself looks dead, right? So, um, so yeah, the frost not able to reach the deep roots, the old that is strong, uh, lingers and doesn't wither. How about those first two lines? The first two lines are about things being different from what they appear, right? All that is gold does not glitter. Uh, now notice this is, um, the, this is, uh, so, uh, Shakespeare reference. Anybody got the Shakespeare reference here, or the near Shakespeare reference? This is that. That is a near quotation of a famous Shakespeare line. Anybody? Anybody with the Shakespeare? Um. Not all those who wander are exactly JJ. You got it. Oh, Valor even remembers this. Oh wait, I think it's not Aragorn. I think it was Monaco. I think it was the Prince of Monaco, uh, not the. Prince of Aragon, but still, uh, it was, yes, uh, from, uh, from the Merchant of Venice, of course. Um, all that glitters is not gold is the line, is the Shakespeare line, right? Um, this is when you've got, you know, Portia with the three chests, uh, and they've got to choose the correct casket, uh, and the, this is what's in the, um, um, uh, it's what's in the, um, the gold casket, they each have a, have a verse in them. And, uh, the first line of the one from, um, I believe it was the one that the Prince of Monaco, um, uh, or the King of Morocco rather, um, uh, opens, uh, says all that glitters is not gold. And that's the sort of the traditional moral, right? Uh, beware of like shiny, attractive things because they might not truly be gold underneath. Right. That's the message there. That's the, the, the take home moral from that particular moment uh, in The Merchant of Venice. Um, 
the first line of Tolkien's verse here, which, uh, so again, it's, it's in that same position, reverses it, right? Instead of saying all that glitters is not gold, it says all that is gold doesn't glitter, right? Um, which is a similar moral, but it's not the same thing, right? Something might be gold, even though it, uh, it might be fair, even if it looks foul, right? Which is a, which is not the same, importantly different from the moral that says, even if something, uh, looks fair, it might be foul underneath, right? Um, uh, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. Something might look kind of shabby, but be gold underneath, right? Somebody might wander around and look lost, but they're not really lost, right? So be careful not to judge things by their surface is the message of those first two lines. The second two lines start talking about the inner nature of the thing, right? And also, so that's one thing. One fact is that things sometimes might be valuable underneath, valuable and purposeful underneath when they look purposeless and worthless on the surface. Second two lines, just because something's old doesn't mean it's weak. Just because, uh, and uh, roots, when they are deep, are not able to be reached by the frost. Even when a long winter sets in, the deep root, the deep-rooted plants will still survive. So yes, I agree, Daniel. Um, they do all deal with inner nature, right? The inner, uh, sort of the inner core of the thing. Um, I agree. I agree. Um, Let's keep going. The second half of the poem. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be gl- sh- renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. I love this poem so much. Um, okay. Notice first the tense change. Yes, Erokheb good. Erokheb says the first four lines are aphorisms and the last four lines are prophecy, right? Yes, there is a significant shift here, right? The first is kind of general advice, right? Keep this in mind. Right. This is this is this is generally and specifically applicable. Right. Here's wisdom for you in these first four lines. The last four lines are predictions from the ashes of fire shall be woken. And we shift from the present tense to the future tense. A light from the shadow shall spring. Notice that we get the contrast. Right. The contrast of the dead ashes and the wakening fire. We get the contrast of the shadows and the light, right? Um, like, the, you know, we had, uh, you know, the old and the strong, uh, you know, the thing that is gold but not glittering. Uh, so again, we have a similar kind of theme, but it's not working the same way anymore, right? Now we're talking about things coming to new life out of the ashes, out of the dead ashes, will spring a fire. We have reversal. Normally, Fire burns down into dead ashes, right? Old things wither, fires burn out, and leave ashes behind them, right? 
but the prophecy is we first said it doesn't necess- it's not necessarily true that the old things wither and die right sometimes they don't and in the future a flame is going to leap forth from the ashes right it's going to reverse uh it's going to be a reversal of of that sort of normal movement right and a light is going to spring forth out of the shadows. It's not going to be a light dying and then the shadows coming in, right? Like happens in the evening every day or something like that. No, this is going to be a light from the shadows uh, shall spring. Um, and yeah, fourth Dauntless, I think it is significant that the fire isn't rekindled from the ashes, uh, but spontaneously springs forth. Um, the woken from the ashes of fire shall be woken. Notice uh, the other thing that's important here. Not just the tense of the verb. What else has changed? What else has changed in, about the verb in that line? You notice? Which fourth four Donald's, I think, speaks to your point. <laughs> notice I'm using my cup with my left hand today. I can't lift it with my right. Um, yes, exactly. Arocab and JJ shifts to the passive voice. This is really important, right? Uh, because what does the passive voice do? Uh, uh, exactly. Uh, Fareth of Ecstasia. Okay. Fareth, yes. Um, it shall be woken. Someone will do the waking, and it doesn't say who, right? The passive voice uh, uh, sort of conceals the doer of the action. It puts the, uh, the, the, the grammatical emphasis, right, the syntactic emphasis on the object of the action rather than on the one who does the action. And sometimes the doer of the action is completely absent from the sentence. That's the point of the passive uh, voice, right? Um, Notice we haven't used the passive voice. All that is gold does not glitter, and all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes of fire shall be woken. So forth, Dauntless. Yes, it is true that uh, this is not just, it's not just going to kind of happen, right? This is not just like the, uh, eventually the ashes are going to be slowly, uh, 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 you know, like a flame is going to slowly arise someday, Right? No, no, no. Someone is going to wake up the fire, right, uh, from the ashes, and a light from the shadows shall spring. The light is going to spring from the shadows, out of the shadows. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. Um, now, and that's really cool too. The seventh line, right? is also passive. Renewed shall be blade. That was broke. The blade shall be renewed by somebody, right? We don't know. Presumably, I'm going to bet the same person who woke the fire from the ashes, right? The fire shall be woken from the ashes. The blade shall be renewed. And we get the B repeated again in the last line, but that's not the passive voice. The crownless again shall be king. That's active voice. Who's going to be king? The crownless is going to be king, right? Uh, so the, the B uh, that is used in that final line is like the culmination of things, right? And it kind of tells you who's going to do the awakening, who's going to do the renewing, right? Answer, the crownless, Again, shall be king. Who's crownless? Yeah, like that gold one, the not glittery one, because he doesn't have a crown yet. Yeah, we're tying back to the beginning, right? 
uh, the wandering one who isn't lost, the, the again the gold one that doesn't glitter, the crownless is gonna be king. He's gonna renew the blade that was broken. He is going to awake a fire from the ashes, and a light will spring forth from the shadows. Uh, that's pretty cool, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And no, for Thoughtless, I think that when talking about renewing, uh, renewed chubby blade that was broken, I don't think it's the Smithcraft being alluded to there. Uh, I don't think that it's the, uh, uh, it's the, the hand of the Smith that's, as important as the hand of the smith is, um, I think it's 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 yeah. I think it, it's still speaking of of this. Of the, the, the crownless is going to be the, it's Aragorn who's going to renew the blade that was broken, right? Again, he, his hand won't be on the hammer, right? That does the reforging, um, but uh, but still, yeah. Um, and yes, Matt, you're absolutely right. Uh, the the uh, the relighting of the fire to forge the sword, uh, it does anticipate that, right? From the ashes of fire shall be woken, which is both a metaphor for, uh, you know, sort of the, the new life uh, and fire that is going to be woken, you know, among the people in the land. Um, but also, of course, it does anticipate the reforging of the blade, right? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um and yes, Tim Duff, that's a great point. It, he doesn't say reforged chubby blade that was broken. It says renewed. The blade will be renewed uh, when it is wielded once again by the crownless as it was wielded of old uh, by the king, right? Um, yes, exactly. And Eroheb, absolutely, the flame of the West, uh, which is what uh, Endural is going to be called, uh, right, is again, that's also presumably has to do with the fire that is going to be uh, woken from the ashes as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and John, you're absolutely right. The, the emphasis on again in that last line, that's a really important word, right? The crownless again shall be king. This is not like a rebellion. We're not planning a coup here. Right, that he who is now crownless will someday not be crownless anymore. Right, I mean that's true, but that's not the point. Right, he will be king again. Right, this is a restoration to a crown, not a unobtaining of a crown. Right, this is not a call to arms to uh, uh, to 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 revolt and put somebody new on the throne. And again, so just as from the ashes of fire shall be woken, or, you know, the crownless again shall be king, as I said at the end, uh, refers back to the all that is gold and not, does not glitter line. Um, in that sense, the crownless again shall be king also brings together that idea of the old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost, right? Just as the deep roots uh, 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 promise that once the thaw finally comes, uh, the plant will once again uh, grow and bloom. So the crownless again shall be king. There's a lot in that last line that really sort of fulfills the promise of those first four lines, right? And I love that... um, I love that that emphasis of sort of the way that those general aphorisms uh, 
Erokab, I think it's a great way to talk about it, right? The, uh, the aphorism, those four aphorisms that are strung together there uh, in the first half of the poem um, are their application is shown, right? And the way that they get recalled, it's like, uh, you know, we sort of see how all of those principles come into play, right? With the crownless again being king. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, good. Um, no, fourth dauntless. The kings of Gondor do have crowns. There is a crown of Gondor. There's only the scepter in the north in Anuminus. Um, uh, so it's uh, it is not um, uh, it is not uh, un. Uh, there's a note. I'm forgetting. Where is the note? I think it's in Appendix A, isn't it? In Appendix A, when He's talking about the scepter of Anuminus, and he actually, Fourth uh, uh, Dauntless comes back to this poem and says, when he spoke of a crown, Bilbo was doubtless thinking of, you know, the southern kingdom, right? He was thinking of Gondor. Um, yeah, yeah, John, I thought that's, that that's where it was. Uh, and you can see this sort of later gloss on the poem to explain like despite the whole scepter of anuminous thing the poem still totally works right yeah yeah exactly because he's thinking of the southern kingdom um yeah yeah um yeah now matt that's a really good question uh matt says bilbo uh says that he that he makes this for Aragorn after listening to him talk about himself. Is there a prophecy he's drawing on or is Bilbo attempting to write a future into being? Um, I think this is, well, it's not like Bilbo. I'm not sure either one perfectly applies. On the one hand, Bilbo is, it's not like he's the first one to talk about this, right? It's not like he's, he says like, Hey, the crownless again, shall be King. Um, and everyone's like, Oh wow. Really? You think like, so, I mean, you know, it's, he's not going out, going out on a prophetic limb here. Uh, Bilbo isn't. And yet, um, it's still bold, right? It's, I mean, Aragorn is not quite so bold about himself as all this, right? Um, he, uh, um, well, think this too. We'll be told in Rivendell that it's been told among the heirs of Elendil that the sword would be reforged when Isildur's bane, uh, uh, returned right when it when it emerged again and bilbo is the ring bearer bilbo is the one who made that happen right um so for him to then be the one who proclaims that it's coming because the one thing the crownless again shall be king um is uh and tony i, I think that your point is well taken that it's you know is this poem about Aragorn himself personally, or is it about the whole line of Isildur? If it's about Aragorn personally, it's a much bolder prophecy, right? That this is going to happen now in your time. But again, here, 
Bilbo could just be connecting two simple things. And again, it's not like he'd be the only one making this connection. Aragorn's obviously done it too, right? Um, but uh, saying, look, uh, Aragorn tells me the sword isn't going to be reforged until the you know the ring returns. I brought the ring, right? Um, so since I can vouch for the fact that uh, Isildur's Bane is back, then... Um, then I'm gonna I'm gonna say boldly that it's time for the the sword to be reforged and the one last step for the crownless again to be king. Um, so <laughs> Alex says so Bilbo isn't a real prophet; he cheated. Well, it's not cheating exactly. Again, I don't think that Bilbo is like vouchsafed a vision from on high about what's going to happen in the future. He is he is writing this poem based on what he knows, based on what Aragorn has told him, based on what he's learned in Rivendell. Um, again, it's not like new information that people are going to be quoting the prophecy of Bilbo Baggins here. Um, but these are still his words, and that's still important, I think. Um, and, of course, the the way in which these things come true. Uh, the uh, This is a really good poem. This is a really good prediction uh, of Aragorn's uh, future here. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think that this is, I think that Bilbo definitely, and we're getting way ahead of ourselves because this is months in advance, but, um, Bilbo says that he wrote it for the Dunedain. He wrote it for Aragorn. Um, and Aragorn seems to have taken it that way, as we'll see much sooner than a couple months from now. Um, I think that Bilbo definitely intends this to be a prophecy about Aragorn personally. Um, so, back then to the bigger context. Oh, okay, no, wait. One last note about the, uh, about the rhythm. Um, I think it's really interesting. So, we, no, I, spoilers, we will be told that Bilbo composed this poem. Um, and I think it's important that it's not in Hobbit meter. Um, this is not like the drinking song. This is not like the walking song. This is not like the bath song. This is not even like, um, you know, Bilbo's signature, um, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the ring song, the setting out and the, and, uh, uh, you know, the road goes ever on and on song. Um, this is not even like that, right? Um, this is a different song in a different context. This is not a Hobbit subject. This is a subject, this is a poem that he wrote uh, for Aragorn. And I think it's important that he made it sound different. Um, Valori, yeah, he's branching out poetically. Um, this is a very different context from the other poems uh, that, he's, uh, uh, that, he's, that he's written. Um, yeah, yeah, good. Um, yeah, okay. Um, but back to the letter we've not yet gotten to Bilbo talking about it or Aragorn quoting it Gandalf has written it right does he intend it to be able to be usable as a kind of a password right because Aragorn will know this and some other random dude pretending to be Strider or calling himself Strider um, isn't going to know this poem uh that would seem to work, but Gandalf doesn't give any instructions about that, right? Um, and so the, um, the, the, 
the suggestion that I would make or the, um, uh, you know, the, I forget now who it was who was suggesting it earlier. It may simply be that Gandalf has quoted this because he thinks it will help them to identify the real Strider, right? Uh, make sure that it's the real Strider. There are many strange men on the roads. And then he tells him two things. A, his first name is Aragorn. B, without any explanation of why he's reciting it, the poem, right? Um, and uh, it does, it will, it, JJ, exactly. It's not just a personal poem about Strider and his history and his future, right? It's also applicable to the situation. All that is gold does not glitter, not all those who wander are lost. Um yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, I don't know if it necessarily is just sort of written down as good advice, but... Um, yeah, yeah. Um It's hard to tell exactly what Gandalf's intention is here. Personally, I suspect that he means it as a way to identify Strider. He just is in too much in haste to give a full explanation. So he jots down the poem and then leaves it. Um, Yeah. Anyway. Okay. PPPS. I hope Butterbur sends this promptly. A worthy man, but his memory is like a lumber room. Thing wanted, always buried. If he forgets, I shall roast him. Farewell. Um, now, I saw there was some earlier discussion about, like, why a lumber room in particular, and that's because, exactly as I think it was Matt was explaining, uh, in a lumber room, like, the board that you need is always at the bottom of the piles. And and uh, and if you leave something, you know, in the lumber, it's always going to get covered up by the new stuff that gets shoved in there. Um, and that's, of course, exactly he, um, Gandalf, is here prophetic, right? Uh, about what's in fact going to happen. Um, remember when Butterbur's, Butterbur explains his own response, right? He t- says that he told Gandalf, um, you know, I can send somebody tomorrow maybe, or the next day. And, and Gandalf says, make it tomorrow, right? Because if you put it off, and the unspoken thing is because if you put it off to the next day, it's going to get buried in the lumber room of your brain, right? It's and, and let me just say, like, I totally sympathize with Butterbur here. I am exactly like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Marianne says, is lumber room uh, a, a UK word for attic? Um, it's the same kind of concept, right? Like the, 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 the place where you store stuff, where you where you put old stuff, uh, and the thing that you want is always buried. Yeah, exactly. I think it's not just lumber. Uh, it's, just, it's not only boards of wood that are kept uh, in the lumber room. Um, yeah, anyway... Um, This is so again. We see he's he's exactly right. This is exactly what's going to happen, right? Um, if he forgets, I shall roast him. Farewell. Um, I wonder because he is in fact expecting or anticipating 
Butterbur's um, Butterbur's forgetting fairly accurately. Uh, if Butterbur has put in, or Butterbur, if Gandalf has put in this third postscript uh, because he does fear or foresee the likelihood of Butterbur forgetting, um, and has put this in as an explanation, right? If you do ever receive this, uh, I want I want to make because you know Butterbur was very forthcoming with his explanation, right? But if it had been delayed and Butterbur hadn't explained it or hadn't, uh, uh, you know, been honest in his explanation or whatever, uh, Gandalf's letter itself would contain an explanation of why it was that Frodo didn't get it. So now you might ask, well, so why does Gandalf trust his letter to Butterbur if he is as confident as this? With, of course, perfectly justified and fully borne out confidence, as we see uh, in, uh, in 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 the forgetfulness of Butterbur, um, why would he uh, why would he do it? Why would he send the letter anyway? Um, Erokeb yeah, says, "Who else could he leave it with?" Exactly, he doesn't have any better options. Um, Strider's not there. None of the other Dunedain are around. He does feel that it would be best, as we talked about before, for him to go team up with Saruman and maybe uh, stop the Black Riders where they are. Um, but, um, uh, but, but, yeah, he doesn't have any better option. He he he, he he's gonna go, right? But he has no other choice but to send it with Butterbur. Uh, but he clearly has a kind of a sinking feeling, right? That it's not actually going to happen. Um, good. Oh, JJ was just looking it up. Uh, according to Wikipedia, um, it is very much like the attic, Marianne. Um, uh, the, um, um, the furniture, the pieces of furniture that are not in use, uh, are stored in a room that was called a lumber room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, well, Tony, no, there wouldn't be any Shire hobbits around. There wouldn't, wouldn't be anybody going to the Shire. Again, Butterbur is the most likely person to have or to know somebody who is going to the Shire or could be sent to the Shire. Um, yeah, there wouldn't be any other hobbits that would be near enough for him to, again, without losing time, uh, to meet, um, uh, to go down and meet Saruman. Yeah. Um Yeah, good. Um, yeah, Fourth Dauntless is saying, given the distance to Isengard, couldn't Gandalf have taken a day uh, to ride to the borders of the Shire and post a letter within, a sh- within the Shire itself? Well, again, like, in retrospect, yeah, that would have been better, right? Um, of course, in retrospect, he wouldn't even go to Isengard. But remember, remember in the future, in the passage we haven't gotten to yet, when Gandalf is given the message, he's already late. Right, like uh, Saruman wants him sooner, uh, so he he has no time. If he's going to answer Saruman's call and go join him, he doesn't have any time to mess around. And again, like in retrospect, he'd have done it differently, right? But uh, but no, he didn't think he even had those couple days to uh, uh, to spare. Um. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. All right. Hey, we finished Gandalf's letter. Okay, let's look at the reaction to the letter. Frodo read the letter to himself and then passed it to Pippin and Sam. 
Really, old Butterbur has made a mess of things, he said. He deserves roasting. If I had got this at once, we might all have been safe in Rivendell by now. But what can have happened to Gandalf? He writes as if he was going into great danger. He has been doing that for many years, said Strider. Frodo turned and looked at him thoughtfully, wondering about Gandalf's second postscript. Why didn't you tell me that you were Gandalf's friend at once, he asked. It would have saved time. Would it? Would any of you have believed me till now, said Strider? I knew nothing of this letter. For all I knew, I had to persuade you to trust me without proofs, if I was to help you. In any case, I did not intend to tell you all, all about myself at once. I had to study you first, and make sure of you. The enemy has set traps for me before now. As soon as I had made up my mind, I was ready to tell you whatever you asked. But I must admit, he added, with a queer laugh, that I hoped you would take me for my own sake. A hunted man sometimes wearies of distrust and longs for friendship, but there I believe my looks are against me. Yeah, oops. Seem to have uh, accidentally timed out here. Um, okay. Yes, Strider, your looks are against you. So is the fact that you were acting like a rascal, right? So if what he wanted was for um, uh, to be taken on trust, right, for him to be... Uh, to be accepted for himself without proofs, he went himself a pretty strange way around to that, right? Um, so this is a kind of an interesting personal appeal that Strider is making here at the end. And it, and what I find most interesting about it is that it doesn't really seem to jive with the actual approach that he took, right? Um the way that he was acting was not like somebody who was hoping for the beginning that he would be accepted and could just find a friend, right? That like, I just want to be friends and I'm hoping you want to be friends with me. Um, that is not how he was acting at the beginning. Um, uh, I think he says this. I hope that you would take me for my own sake a hunted man, like making that last statement, a hunted man sometimes wearies of distrust and longs for friendship. Um, but there, I believe my looks are against me. Um, here, this is a, him acknowledging his cover story, right? The fact that he acts and looks rascally. Um, but secondly, there's a, there's a kind of vulnerability here, which is a very different approach than he's had before. Right. Um, uh, more than just, I think it would be to your advantage to talk to me, right? Um, I would like a reward. This is a very, very different approach than he's taken before. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's see. Um, yeah. Oh, and Mike, you are absolutely right. Um there would totally have been a lumber room in Bag End, right? Several of them, probably, with all of the Mathams that were there and with the hole being cleared out. It was the lumber room that would have been cleared out in part, right? Absolutely. Uh, but anyway, okay. Um, Tony's asking if Sauron understood that the Rangers are the, are the remnants of the Dunedain of the North. Does he understand that? Yeah, okay. Well, first of all, how much current information does he have about what's going on up here in the north, right? How much interest has he taken? Um, he does not know that an heir of Isildur still lives, 
He so it is unknown uh, to Sauron that that is true. Now, how long has that been unknown? Um, is it just when Arathorn was killed and then his young son disappeared uh, and has been raised in Rivendell under a false name for many years? Um, is that when he lost track of it? Did he lose track of it earlier than that? We don't really know, right? Uh, I mean, we know that he, uh, through his servant, the Witch King, uh, was the opponent of Arnor, right? And was trying to bring it down. Um, so we know that he's been involved in that, you know, from the beginning. But in the chieftain period of the Dúnedain, after the fall of the Northern Realm, did he know about the chieftain surviving? Did he know that there was still an heir of Isildur? Um, I'm not really... Uh, um, I'm not really sure, right? Uh, I'm not really sure if uh, um, if yeah, I don't know of any. I, I can't think off the top of my head of any very clear evidence about the degree of Sauron's knowledge, as far except for the fact that we know he thinks the line is is extinct because um, he's surprised to find the heir of Isildur when uh, when Aragorn presents himself. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so there's several things going on in that final speech of Strider's here. Um, let me take first, again, he's disagreeing with Frodo's statement. You know, if you had just told me you were Gandalf's friend, it would have saved time. And Strider's like, no, it wouldn't, right? You know, I didn't know that you had this letter uh, that mentioned me, right? So, I mean, if I had said, oh, yeah, I'm Gandalf's friend, would you have believed that any more than you believed anything else I had said before? Um, uh, so, um, so, I mean, that's the first thing he says. But then, I did not intend to tell you all about myself at once. I had to study you first and make sure of you. The enemy has set traps for me before now. Um, we've been talking about these lines already for a few weeks, thinking about his, uh, thinking about this lying behind the conversation that he's been having, uh, with them here. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, um, I'm still having a hard time. I mean, I get that conceptually, like in general terms, right? But what I'm having a harder time with is thinking about specifically the enemy has set traps for me before now. How is th- How would this be... If this were a trap from the enemy, how would that be contrived, right? Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I, I see that or understand. What was he afraid of exactly? Well, we've talked about this a little bit before, but I don't know that we've either we've solved this and I've forgotten it or we never really solved it. Um, what is Aragorn thinking might be happening here? Do you see what I mean? Um, that these are fakes? That this is a fake Frodo? Um Uh, to try to... Yeah, that they could be double agents. Exactly, Blue Wizard. That seems odd. 
right? Um, well, no, I think... Tony, I don't think he could be thinking about years ago um, because he's applying it to this situation. I had to make sure of you. The enemy set traps for me before, so by implication, that would be that this might have been a trap, right? Um, he wasn't about to tell everything about himself, to be open about himself right away. This is as much as to say, this is why I was doing my rascal thing at the beginning. I was playing up the role of Strider the Rascal, right? Um, because I was not sure about you, right? Um, now, to JJ, you're right that the ring rates have been offering money for information. Um, it's possible that they could have some hobbits traveling debris. Um, uh, they could be using hobbits, innocent hobbits, even potentially not even, uh, uh, necessarily collaborator hobbits, but um, they could pay hobbits to go to Bree and 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 not fully understand why. That's 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 possible. Um, I can imagine that, and we do know that they're offering money to people to hobbits, right? Fourth Dauntless, I agree. Uh, Fourth Dauntless says he's curious why Sauron seems to target Aragorn directly, since we're told that Sauron doesn't know he's a Sildur's heir. Um, my, I, I, yes, I agree. Presumably, it wouldn't be Aragorn personally because he doesn't know about Aragorn personally, um, but that it would be to like, if there's a trap, the trap would be for anyone who was assisting, right? Any of, the, I mean, we. He knows that they that the, they know about the Rangers, right? Remember, we've just we we just talked earlier on uh, from Marielle's question about the fact that like the Black Riders had to fight the the Rangers, right? They drove the Rangers or they scattered the Rangers at the borders of the Shire, so they know they're facing resistance. They might set traps. They, the Black Riders, might set traps in order to attempt to destroy those who are resisting them here, right? So he could just be targeting you know, chieftain and leaders among the Dunedain. Yeah, exactly. It could be something like that, JJ. Um, yes, fourth on Aragorn does say that the enemy has set traps for him. Um, but I, again, I think that we can read that as I have been, he has attempted, like, the enemy has set traps, which I, you know, caught on to myself before like that is i have been in the place of you know i have i have been nearly caught by traps or i have had traps laid but again i don't think that this is uh sauron uh you know setting personal traps for aragorn son of arathorn um because i don't think that he knows that he exists it is possible jj as you suggest that he could know uh, that he is a prominent and potentially dangerous ranger, that he is a leader uh, among the rangers, um, that he wants to get rid of the ringleader of his opponents, but he doesn't really know who the ringleader is. He doesn't know that the ringleader uh, is an heir of Isildur. That's also possible. That's also definitely possible. Um, maybe the Amazon series will clear all this up. Yeah, maybe. 
Uh, maybe we'll see. Um, anyway, um, I'm still puzzling over this, though. I go back to his phrasing here. I had to study you first and make sure of you. The enemy has set traps for me before now. I always linked those two sentences directly, right? Like as if there were the word because in between them. I had to study you first and make sure of you because the enemy has set traps for me before now. But actually that doesn't make any sense. This conversation, right? Uh, this conversation that they've been having in the room, which is what they seem to be both talking about here, right? Has happened after Frodo has put on the ring in the common room, right? You have put your foot in it, Mr. Baggins, or shall I say your finger, right? He knows who he is, right? He just used the ring of power. He just turned invisible in public, right? He doesn't need to be told his proper name, Right? He knows he's Frodo Baggins. He knows he's carrying the Ring of Power. There's only one invisible hobbit in the world. Right? Um, so, by the time Aragorn comes in to have this whole conversation where he's posing as a rascal and everything, he knows this is the real Frodo Baggins. Um, like he has to. It has to be. He's got the Ring of Power. Right? Uh, so... I, I don't. I can't think that what he means here is that you might. I thought you might be a fake, and I had to check you out, right? But you notice that's not what he actually says in that previous sentence. I had to study you first and make sure of you, make sure of you, and we talked about that, saying, um, uh, that he's got to be wondering what's going on with Frodo, right? That he has to know um, who he's dealing with here. Um, yeah, Tony says maybe he's referring to his tests of their courage from earlier. Um, we were talking about this a little bit before, uh, much earlier, right? With like, what is Strider thinking, right? What what must Strider think of Frodo? How is he supposed to interpret the performance, right? Accident then, right? I wonder. Um, uh, yeah. Eric Hebb says, maybe he's implying I needed to check if you would drag me under with you if I tried to help you. Uh, yeah, something like that. Um, sizing them up for what they're facing or what they're about to face. That kind of thing. I'm thinking I had to study you first and make sure of you, right? Um, and again, that next sentence does seem to imply that, like, to make sure it was really Frodo Baggins that I'd been told to look out for. Um, but, uh, but again, he's confident about that still in the common room, Mr. Baggins, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, the fact, Katriana, yes, that he saw them with Tom Bombadil also would surely uh, have led him to suspect, to be fairly certain of who the, who these people were. Um, now, that itself wouldn't absolutely prove it, but still. 
Yeah, Tony's wondering if maybe Frodo has gone over to the dark side due to possessing the ring. That's got to at least be an option, right? Um, And, you know, Tony, to think that through a little bit more, remember what the ring has been tempting him to do. The ring has been very consistent in tempting Frodo to put on the ring and reveal it, right? Um, The ring is trying to reveal itself. Frodo could be under its sway, at least... um, at least to some extent, right? Um, Alex, that's really interesting. Alex is paraphrasing those two sentences now as, I need to be sure you are ready for the traps we might be walking into. That is interesting, right, to think about that. I had to, I had to study you first and make sure of you. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about his options. He doesn't have very many good options here, right? But if, uh, if this Frodo Baggins is either... Uh, you know, and that's interesting. Um, several people were objecting fairly violently to the idea that Aragorn would ever just take the ring from Frodo and bring it to Rivendell himself. Um, I can think of one circumstance under which he would do that, right? And that's if Frodo were under the power of the ring. If the ring had gained dominion over Frodo with the Black Riders at hand, yeah, he'd have to, wouldn't he? I mean, he's not just going to fire Frodo for incompetence. Uh, That would be questionable, right? He can't do that. But he could, I think, if Frodo were not his own master anymore. Um, If Frodo were, were clearly under the sway of the ring, and the ring were leading him to reveal it to the Black Riders, as kind of was happening in the common room, he could... He could think like, okay, like Frodo is not competent to continue at this point, and a, and we're at a crisis moment here. If Frodo is not withholding the ring anymore, right? If he is not, uh, uh, if he has surrendered himself uh, to the power of the ring, I've got to I got to do something here, and so maybe that's one of the things that he needs to make sure of. Make sure. Um, uh, Tony, as you say, who's in charge, Frodo or the ring? That may well be what he was trying to to make sure of here. Um, yes, Amethorn, it I think that's a good way to say good way to say it that he is being diplomatic about saying that he didn't initially trust them as companions and carriers of the ring. Um, right? Yeah, and I think this this reading, the idea that the hobbits themselves might be a trap that the Black Riders have arranged for his benefit. That is, that was always my reading of that passage. That's what I always thought it meant from when I was in high school. But the more I think about it, I think that that's wrong. I think, because I think that that makes much less sense than this, than what we were saying. Like, he is going to set traps. I've been through his traps before. He's tried to get me before. Um, He is going to try to get us, to get me, he's going to try double hard to get us now. Right, I have to study you and make sure of you. Is can we can we go on? Can we move? You know, what do we have to do? Um, maybe he's going to just capture him like he did with Gollum, Tony. Yeah, that's possible. That's possible. Um, uh, Fourth Donald suggests that if Frodo was under the control of the Ring, the thing to do would be to tie him up and carry him, not to seize the Ring. Uh, <laughs> we'll call this pulling a Gamgee. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, sure, but one way or the other, he's got to make up his mind what to do, right? Um, 
But I'm not even sure. I mean, is that viable? Maybe. I mean, I guess he could probably, what? What is he going to do? Club Frodo into unconsciousness and carry the unconscious ring bearer carrying, bearing the ring over his shoulder all the way to Rivendell? It's possible. I mean, you know, physically he could probably handle that. Um, but uh, I'm not sure that that is a huge ethical step up from seizing the ring from Frodo. Um, yeah, and as Arahab points out, of course, he'd have to he'd have to club Sam first. Uh, <laughs> just what JJ was thinking too. Um, stick him in a sack. Yeah, exactly. Right, uh, and then uh, mince him up and boil him afterwards. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- that's that that whole. I mean, hobbits and sacks aside, uh, that whole reading to me of this passage makes much more sense uh, th- than I had to make sure you were really who you were. Because again, he knows he explicitly shows that he knows that in the common room. Um, and that helps us to going back and thinking of the conversation that we've been having, our interpretations of his rascally behavior and stuff. He is testing to see their reactions and how are they going to respond? Are they serious? Are they, is Frodo corrupt? Right? These are questions that Strider really needs to know. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the third thing that he says, right? Um, As soon as I had made up my mind, I was ready to tell you whatever you asked. As soon as I had made up my mind, again, not about their genuineness, made up my mind about what I was going to do with you, right? And the answer is help you on your way to Rivendell, right? Um, That's obviously what he was hinting towards, leaning towards. It's plan A, right? It's always, always plan A. Um, and how they responded to his rascally uh, offer of help, or rather demand of reward, um, uh, uh, you know, shows that he's already thinking in that direction, but, but is, still, is still sort of testing them. Um, and then he makes the personal appeal at the end, right? Um, uh yeah, yeah, Zephan, that's a really cool way of saying it. Uh, Zephan 12 is saying, um, it could be Strider saying, I wanted to make sure of you. The enemy has laid traps for me before and will likely lay traps before you, right? So, again, this is like, I had to make sure of you that you were kind of up to this, especially since, let's face it, he has not shown himself. Again, Frodo not covered himself with glory here uh, so far. Um but then again, that that sort of personal appeal show like I also like this is uh, I forget who said this uh, earlier on, um, uh, but this is like sort of not Strider the Ranger, not the persona. Uh, this is him dropping his persona, right, and talking as the person. This is like, you know. The, underco- the undercover cop dropping his cover story and admitting, like, what he would really wish for, right? Um, uh, you know, sort of acknowledging, I have this persona that I'm trying to maintain, but, you know, like, underneath, I just want to be loved, right? Um, 
A hunted man sometimes wearies of distrust and longs for friendship. It's not this this persona that I've adopted isn't the easiest or most fun of all persona to adopt, right? Um, and that I think is an interesting sort of gesture of trust that he is uh, um, that he is that he's making to Frodo here. Um, cool. Well. It's getting late. Let's do one more. Whoop, whoop. Sorry. Went too far. Okay. So he just said his looks were uh, against him. Yeah, and Tony, I agree. Tony says, I always heard a hint of bitterness and loneliness in that statement about his looks being against him. Uh, Strider's persona costs him a lot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's he's He's made a sacrifice for this. Right, he really has. Um, it costs him something to have to maintain this rascally persona uh, all the time. We saw the time that he's around here interacting with people in Bree. They are, at first sight, at any rate," laughed Pippin with sudden relief at, after reading Gandalf's letter. "But handsome is as handsome does, as we say in the Shire, and I dare say we shall all look much the same after lying for days in hedges and ditches." It would take more than a few days, or weeks, or years of wandering in the wild to make you look like Strider, he answered. And you would die first, unless you are made of sterner stuff than you look to be. Okay, so Pippin has just tried to lighten the mood and been smacked down by Strider, right? Don't kid yourself. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Eric Hebbett's touching, right? How Pippin identifies uh, days in ditches and hedges, um, uh, which notice, by the way, that's it refers back to that same uh, Pippin used almost the same phrase about hedges and ditches when Frodo wanted to make his shortcut uh, across the Marish, remember? Um, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, I'll go through every hedge and ditch. Um Pippin thinks it's uncivilized, you know, not to just go by the road, right? Um, uh, so anyway, so yeah, so clearly somebody who's been walking through the hedges and ditches uh, for several days is going to, you know, everyone will look equally um, uh, shabby, right? Um, and here's Strider immediately cutting in and saying... You, you don't understand, right? Let me emphasize how much you don't understand what you're up against. If you think a couple of days going through hedges and ditches, notice that, right? No, this is Pippin's idea of hardship. Cutting across land where there are hedges and ditches, that is to say, artificial uh, barriers that have been imposed on livestock by civilized hobbits. Right? That's what both hedges and ditches are used for, right? And it's inconvenient. It's very difficult to go through a hedge. Uh, it's very awkward to go across a big ditch, right? Um, and you might get dirty and you might get a little scratched trying to do those things. You might even get very scratched. Who knows, right? Um, but notice how he is, even in talking about hardship, he's still imagining civilized... He's not imagining the wild at all. There are no... He- there's neither hedge nor ditch in the wild. That's the point. It's wild, right? Um, 
he's not even imagining he's, he doesn't even have that, that category right in his head right um not to mention the fact that he thinks they're all going to be rugged veterans after a couple days doing this um uh yeah so one of the reasons i think therefore that strider kind of pulls him down here uh a little bit uh is that and and it's he, he will not lighten the mood he's just been talking about how i needed to test you right and now he's like look let us not make this mistake right don't think this is not a hobbit walking party right you are not on holiday uh and here i'm quoting uh thinking of these quotes uh andy higgins's talk at uh, at london mood was about tolkien's use of the image of holiday um and, and how the word holiday functions, uh, the concept of holiday functions in Tolkien's writing. It's really cool, really interesting. Anyhow, um, uh, but yeah, it shows that Pippin is still kind of thinking of this as a kind of holiday, right? This is still a hobbit walking party. Um, this is something that they're kind of doing for fun. Uh, in, yeah, no, it's not like that, Pippin. Um, and um, Strider is really firm about that. Uh, Simon, I do think he's, I think he's, he's trying to crush Pippin a little bit. I'm sure Pippin does feel crushed here. Pippin was trying to be, um, trying to be bright here. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly. Matt says there's something of the home by Christmas uh, in this statement. Um, and it, when so Matt talks about being home by Christmas, uh, referring to World War One, right? How everyone thought it was going to be over quickly and they'd be home by Christmas. And nobody foresaw the long, drawn-out nightmare that the war was going to be. And there is something of that kind of... Uh, Pippin does kind of sound somewhat like a pre-World War One. British lad, right, um, who doesn't really know what lies ahead of him. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's a really apt, uh, a, a very relevant um, uh, comparison there. Um, yeah, home by Yule, Alex. Exactly, exactly. Um, um, and JJ, you're right. This is that's a frequent. It's not even that's not like unique to World War One, right? That's very common. JJ is talking about how uh, you know you can see exactly the same kind of sentiment, exactly the same sort of mistake being made by both sides in the American Civil War. Yeah, no, it's it's quite frequent, right? Not having any for those who have not been through that kind of experience have no idea what really to expect uh, and what it's really going to look like. And this is applied not to war, um, but to uh, uh, but to the journey, the struggle that they have ahead of them in the wild, right? Um, and you would die first unless you are made of sterner stuff than you look to be. This is, I think, to put... He's he's crushing Pippin, but not just... He's not just being a jerk, right? He needs them to... It's, it is in Pippin's interest for him to understand. Not like, man, you, you need to... This is life or death here, my friend. Life or death. You don't fear these riders enough, he's already said. You don't fear the wild enough. Like, you could die. Um, 
it will probably kill you. If you try to go through what I've been through, it almost certainly would kill you, right? Uh, so, like, and, and I think there's a kind of a challenge there, unless you are made of sterner stuff than you look to be. I don't think he's just insulting them. I think he's challenging him here, right? Prove me wrong. Show me how stern your stuff is, right? Um it is a little bit like a drill sergeant moment, Tony. Um, and again, that really shows like, no, this is not the time for pleasantries, Pippin. Right? This is not the time for jokes. Uh, this, is not the, uh, uh, this is not the time for lighthearted banter. Uh, you need to really understand what's going on here. Um, and a couple of you are pointing out how uh, Strider is referring to himself in the third person here. Right? Um, and that's it, especially in the in the in the context, in this exact context, right? With the whole idea of Strider being a persona that he is adopting, and now through Gandalf's letter, uh, something is being like his true identity is being is emerged. So now Strider is sort of more and more distant in a sense, right? Like we're getting to who he really is. He is speaking. He was just speaking in a sense, in his own voice, right? Behind the persona. Um, uh, and, uh, and then we get the, um, and then we get him referring to that persona in the third person, right? Um, yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't even adopt this persona, right? Without, uh, spending days, weeks, years of wandering in the wild. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And Alex, you're right. That's it's uh, um, thinking about that beginning of the war idea, right? The person that they're talking to is somebody who has been, you know, in the trenches for years already. Yeah. Yeah. Pippin subsided, but Sam was not daunted, and he still eyed Strider dubiously. How do we know you are the strider that Gandalf speaks about, he demanded. You never mentioned Gandalf till this letter came out. You might be a play-acting spy, for all I can see, trying to get us to go with you. You might have done in the real strider and took his clothes. What have you to say to that? I love Sam's theory that he did in the real strider and took his clothes. Um, But, of course, Sam is exactly right. Um... How Strider is acting right now is would totally be how a good con artist would act, right? No, he didn't say anything about Gandalf before this letter came out. And Frodo was incautious, right? I mean, if we remember back to what Sam just or Frodo just said, why didn't you tell me that you were Gandalf's friend at once? It would have saved time. Um, so he just volunteered that. He reads the letter silently, so Aragorn doesn't know what it says. Um, though he has already overheard Butterbur saying that it was in his whole explanation about how uh, it's a letter from Gandalf. Um, what did Frodo reveal? He deserves roasting, so uh, maybe you could get from that that, that Gandalf threatened to roast him. Um, if I had gotten this at once, we might all have been safe in Rivendell by now. He's revealed where... Well, now Aragorn already revealed that he knew about Rivendell, right? Just before Butterbur came in. Um, what can have happened to Gandalf? Um, uh, so, uh, anyway, yeah. Um, so, 
And then, again, why didn't you tell me you were Gandalf's friend at once? Implying that maybe that Gandalf mentioned him in the letter. So, yeah, a good con artist would totally be able to use that, right? And be like, oh, well, you know, I didn't want to... I had to check you out first. Um, uh, Now, for Thoughtless, I agree. They had kind of gotten past the whole you're a con artist thing before the letter came out. Um, Sam is being stubborn. But it's perfectly rational, right? I mean, this it, mostly perfectly rational. That you might have done in the real Strider and took his clothes is a little bit over the top, right? Butterbur clearly recognizes him as Strider, right? So, the, you know, that doesn't actually make so very much sense. Um, but... One of the things that we certainly see about Sam here is his stubborn unwillingness to risk any harm. He doesn't, uh, um, uh, he doesn't want to take chances. <laughs> Brewing your points out, he might have done in the real Butterbird too. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, ow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Possible. Possible. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, can't rule that out. How would Sam know, right? Yeah, can't prove it. Um, yeah. Eric Hebb points out that Sam had just heard the explicit instruction from Gandalf to be wary of men going by the name of Strider, and he took it to heart. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, quite possible. Um yeah, that's interesting. Mad Violinist says, social immobility is a thing for Sam, uh, and it seems to extend to the notion that folk don't change that much. Um, yeah, uh, Mad Violinist is thinking forward to the uh, uh, conflict between Sam and Gollum, uh, and how suspicious uh, Sam will remain about Gollum. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, is Sam more used to listening to and following instructions than the other three? Um, maybe. Maybe. Um, I don't think so, though. I don't think that this is a I'm, f- I'm following Gandalf's orders things. I think this is more of a, yeah, Tony, a not on my watch thing, right? Um, Sam is does not want to, uh, um, he's not going to be daunted, right? Uh, uh, Strider just smacked Pippin down, and Sam's not going to have any of it, right? Sam is not going to be talked out of his uh, suspicion. Remember, he, Strider had just said, you know, will you have him? And Sam says, I'd say no, right? Um, yeah. No, I mean, I agree. Sam has trust issues, and he's justified for uh, for having just for trust trust issues. He's right not to have trust issues, or not to not to have trust issues, not to trust people. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think that Sam expects the fake Strider to buckle under his accusation and confess Erica or uh, blue wizard. I think he just wants to, he just wants to make him go away. Um, I think he wants to, 
he just he he would rather have nothing to do with this guy. And remember, he's also suspicious of outsiders. Um, at the end of the day, Strider's also a man, right? He's human, uh, big, intimidating, taller than usual, even for a human guy who looks dark and shady and rascally and comes out of the wild. And I never heard no good of such folk, right? Um, he has a, a fund of traditional wisdom uh, that has been handed to him about how he sh- you should not trust people like this. And so, yeah, better safe than sorry, right? Um uh, yeah, yeah. And as Matt says, Sam has been told to to watch over Frodo, right? To act to act the bodyguard by both Gildor and Gandalf. Yeah, he's he's he is taking his promise seriously, right? That he's not gonna uh he's gonna try not to let Frodo come to uh come to, 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 to any harm. All right. Well we will come back to we'll we'll do Strider's response to Sam next time. See, we not only did we do the poem, we got past the poem, we got like two whole slides past the poem. So there, that's good. Um, so I think we're going to stop there. Uh, it is, uh, it is, it is long past time to go on our field trip here, and um, I'm keeping everybody late here tonight. Uh, so we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna field trip it again now. Thank you, everybody, uh, for joining us for a book discussion. I'm going to say bye to the Twitter folks and uh, invite you guys to switch over and join us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash SignumU, uh, if you would like to join us for the, uh, for the, for the field trip today. Uh, so thanks to you guys. Okay. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Oh. Oh, Doing all right I, there. I was thinking maybe you had done something technologically that was making you do that, but I have a feeling that's not it. No, it's yeah, it was reaching up to my phone to touch the button. Oops. That was yeah. Oops. Oh, yeah. Okay. Doing okay. I did that yes, while hitting the light tonight, switch everybody. today. <laughs> yes. Western Angmar, yay! Western Angmar, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> huzzah! Huzzah! Okay. So just so you know, I looked it up. You were right. It was from the King of Morocco King of section. Morocco, uh-huh. From Merchant of Venice, not the Prince of Prince Aragon. Prince of Aragon like, was the silver, right? He was number two. Yes, he was the silver casket. And I thought that the line was when he was justifying choosing the silver over the gold. But it was, in fact, it was it was actually a line by the king. It was in the scroll that he wrote inside the gold casket. That he reads out. It's the scroll that's that included in the... I have in the, a quote yeah. here if you want to hear it. If All not, that glisters is not gold. Oh, wait, hang on, hang on. All the glisters is not gold. Uh, often has this something been told? Have you heard that told? Ha- often have you heard that told? Um, uh, uh, and it's it's uh, and I, it, every line rhymes with gold, but it never actually uses yes. the word gold, right? Many a man his life hath sold, sold. but my outside to behold, gilded right. tombs do worms enfold. Yes. Gilded but it makes a good point. Gold. This is a phrase that is time out of memory. This yes. this phrase about gold being something that glitters is actually probably much older than Shakespeare. Yes, all that all that glitters is not gold is quoted there. Yes, as a as a traditional uh, um, yes uh, saying even even back then. Yes, now the word world's most overdone tattoo and bumper sticker. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. So, do our usual write to go to Esteldean and write from there. I think so. Yeah, yes. I think it's our only route, really. 
Okay, I mean, so... there's hunters in the group, and we could probably try to, you know, get fellowships and stuff together, but by the time we do that... Yeah, by the time we fill it up. <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah. let's just take off then. That's okay, cool. so I have two things. Okay. Two things. One is a funny, and one is serious that I was... No funny about. tonight, Trish! So, <laughs> That's okay. So, um, so when you said the thing about... Let's see, what was it? We were talking about Aragorn's making that comment about, you know, I had to be sure of you. Yeah. And you were like, well, what do you think, what do you, you know, what do we think he could have been? I was thinking Robo Hobbits. Robo Hobbits. There you go. Robo Hobbits. Robo Hobbits. You can't. I, I think it was an excuse. That was just an excuse for him dropping but the ball. He wasn't, second, he wasn't, yeah. My second thing was, I really, I mean, I hadn't really thought, well, I mean, you don't think of this, but I hadn't thought about the fact when he's talking about, you know, it's, it's lonely out here, man. Yeah. Friends. For a lone and cowboy. He's like, what he doesn't say is, you don't know this, but I was Thorongel. I was a hero. <laughs> I was a contender. You know, right. I did, like, from where I've come, I, I made the like, Kessel Run. And I felt really <laughs> bad for him. Right, right. Again, yeah. he, he he has given up a lot. Right. I mean, he. Um, there are set when you look back over it. There, there. I mean, it's not just you know, quality time he could be spending uh, with his girlfriend in Rivendell. Um, but also, you know, and not even just, you know, that like his people that he separates himself from and doesn't see that often. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, everything, he, how many times he has, like, you know, he spent his whole life walking away from uh, everything, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Ever, I mean, he's been doing that ever since he found out who he was. But at the same time, if they had accepted him without question, he would have just been there telling them how stupid they were. Right. Well, exactly. Exactly. Um, and that's, again, why I tend to think that that last comment about longing for friendship isn't an actual attempt to explain his actions. Right? I think he's trying to be endearing, yeah. <laughs> right. Kind of after the fact to say, no, I was you know. going to say, after the horse has left the barn. Yeah, exactly. Do it right. now, dude. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, or are you, I mean, I guess you could say it's not totally after the fact because he's still trying to build, um, you know, some kind of rapport with them, but his, well, he's taking a, a new, a new tack at it, right? We've well, established that the hobbits wouldn't th- guess the guy is going to be a king, by the way. He yeah, certainly right. not. In this scene. Yeah. And so there was some sting in that of the whole, you know, not everyone tells me to leave and uh, make sure I haven't left any marks on the chair, you know? Right. Well, Butterbur but, uh, clearly it, does. He also, the hobbits have proven to make decisions emotionally and not rationally. I think at this point he's appealing to them in an emotional mm-hmm. way instead of instead right. of a logical way. Right. And and again, as a as a person, as an individual, not as you know, king or even you know, he's not talking about his qualifications as a guide. Or anything like that, as he was before. Um, that was the appeal he was making, you know, when he said, you know, Strider can take you by paths that are seldom trod. Will you have him? Um, he sounds like Gollum when he says that. Uh, what, when, he, knows, when he speaks Smeagol of himself in the Smeagol third person? Yeah, that's the only other guide we know, and he also speaks in third person. It's like they've both got these personas, you know, <laughs> but they've convinced themselves this is their role or something. Yeah. Um, it's just weird. It's just weird that our two learned guides like to refer to themselves by their stage name. (laughs) 
Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that connection with the two of them. Um, let's see. I mean, it is kind of funny that it's the two guides there. It doesn't seem like anything intrinsic to the role of guide, necessarily, but... Um, but they're both people Frodo has to trust implicitly. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, and it's not like Strider does it all the time. No, he he drops it pretty fast once they're out in the wild, I think, doesn't they? Yeah, well, I mean, even in this conversation, he's been using the first person most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, very notably, when he's talking about his own persona, right? I do have rather a rascally look to me. You know? <laughs> uh, he sounds... Pr- I always imagine he's proud of himself when he says that, just like John Hurt did in the animation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he said that with pride. Yeah. Um... Yeah. I'm just what I'm trying to think of is I'm trying to think of the effect of the the effect of the third person usage. Like I mean I I know it strikes us as kind of strange and that people who talk about themselves in the third person like, It's a dissociation. Yeah, and it normally a rapper. Well, see, that's it, right? I mean, like, why do they, you know, why is that a thing, uh, you know, among rappers, for instance? I mean, one of the things that... Well, because kings do it. Kings return themselves in third person. Yes. Well, exactly, right? There is a dissociation, right? Like a distancing Mm -hmm. of yourself from yourself. Mm -hmm. But normally it's for the sake of admiration, of self-admiration, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um... You know, I am a big deal, and so, you know, like, I observe myself from the outside and, you know, observe what a big deal I am seems to be the, you know, the implication. Most So, I mean, because it seems to be an arrogant move. At least we tend to interpret it as arrogant. Yeah, I'm starting to see why, uh, I'm trying, I'm starting to see why Erwin turned him down the first time. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's the thing, though. With taking those two examples... Strider and Gollum, right? Um, what do we see there? Uh, do we see? Do we? Uh, that's how we think of it, but I'm not sure that that is how they would have associated. It. I'm not sure that that's native, you know, to the text or to the to this to this sort of area here, um, chronologically and and geographically speaking. With Smeagol. He talks about himself in the third person, but he also talks to himself uh, all the time. Um, And so that sense of dissociation with Gollum is far more profound, right? I mean, he's speaking, uh, yes, he's speaking um, about himself, but he always also speaks to himself. Strider doesn't speak to himself. Um, Yes. So we don't have that same kind of you know, I'm probably a little unhinged kind of uh, dissociation that we get with Gollum. Um, with well, he's been in the wild a long time. I don't know. Well, yeah, but we never see it, so... Do we I'm know just... if he talks to himself? I talk to myself when I'm alone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, okay, I... so we're... Okay, West Angmar, we should probably get back on track. Yeah, we should get back on track. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of... But the question I'm trying to answer is, what is the effect... 
what effect is he going for? What does effect does he think he's going to have? Because he's obviously transitioning into that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't just use it compulsively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think he'd be mm-hmm. using it purposefully, but for what purpose? For what, exactly, what is the purpose? Because uh, I'm not but, convinced that it has the same associations in the text that we have Trish, with it when we hear a modern contemporary right. person do it. Right. Yeah, I agree. Oh, Trish, we're getting some things in chat that you're a little hard to hear. Um, not sure what to do about that. Um, I'll yell. Yeah. Oh yeah. There you go. That's good. I think we're, I think we're mostly here. Yep. Mostly here. Okay. All right. So today we're going to leave the village of Al Khair, if that's how we pronounce it. Uh, (laughs) really? Don't, don't be hasty here now. Okay. I know. We'll, we'll we'll give it a shot. We're going to, we're going to go. Okay, here we go. Cutting through Cutting through the pig pen. I just ran to someone's house. It was probably the guy with the roving threats sitting there giving the roving threats. Serves him right. Okay. So let us look about ourselves here. All right. What do we see? So we saw this big old wall on the hill, right? Mm -hmm. And now we look out into this valley and we can see... A land that was once wooded and not, it was not dense forest, right? The trees are not uh, densely packed together, but looking maybe kind of like the, um, the Green Hill country in the Shire, perhaps, you know, with like occasional stands of trees and, and rolling hills and grass, Mm -hmm. um, kind of looks like Farnos now. Yeah, it does look like Farnos. The trees that, look that like Farnos. Except remember in Farnos we saw that the trees had life on them, right? They mm-hmm. were sprouting leaves. These are not sprouting leaves. This is just dead. No. Now we see there's a there's a ruin up there. The style of those walls and towers is just like the ones on top. As I recall, yep. yes, it is. Uh, so mm-hmm. whoever made that fortress up on that hill uh, was the same as uh, as the one who made the, the, the one on the hills behind us. And then more out here. Look at all these. We've got fortifications upon fortifications. I keep turning my camera accidentally. Backing up, backing up, going up to higher altitude to see over the trees again. Look at all those. Yeah. Is that a zigzaggy wall, or are those lots of multiple towers? Uh, yeah, it is kind of zigzaggy. I'm not sure what it was supposed to be. So we're looking at it, these over here, and this up here, I think, is the big keep that we're seeing. And, and these areas... So if the original wall was down here... I'm looking at the map now. If the original wall was down behind us here... Uh, blocking this pass, then mm-hmm. perhaps what we're because then we have this valley, which again would have been a nice, rich, lush valley and hill region. Um, but then we have these this secondary wall of mountains, uh, or at least of of large hills up there ahead of us, um, which also seems to have been defended. 
this the one straight in front of us right now when we're standing on the road the biggest one that we can see as soon as we come over the rise looks like an actual city rather than merely a wall or sort of isolated yeah. fortifications all right well let's look around a little bit what are these are these just lumpy rocks what are these like yeah. they look like stalagmites yeah they do in the open, which is a little bit weird. Yeah, those are natural rock formations. Yeah. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Strange rocks. And this all looks like it was maybe once a lake? Uh, Yeah, something that's dried out a long time ago. Yeah. We see a couple of these around here. Yeah. Which is interesting, right? So you can see it's not just that the, the grass and trees have all been blasted and uh, and and killed over time, um, but uh, oh, it's Grimgor, good old Grimgor. Yeah, the the one pig in this area. Yeah, um, but uh, but you can see that you know they're larger. So we've got this pitiful, unhealthy-looking last remnant of water in what was probably uh, a large lake. It seems like just based on the on the topography around here, looks like that. Mm-hmm. So that you know, we were we've been to- we're talking about how in various broadcasts we've been talking about uh, you know the the whole desolation surrounding evil uh, and everything. And we can see this is a fairly fairly advanced uh, in the blasting. Now these creatures that are being shot down all around us, we have wargs. Right, mm-hmm. which is not surprising. We have Grimgor, our one huge boar that we just passed, and we have. He's an anomaly, though. Yeah, he's an anomaly. What? What? What were those other? Hill creatures? beasts. Hill beasts. Hill beasts. Big red yeti. Right. So they and they have their uh, habitat uh, near the dried out lake. Right. Okay. So these are like ape creatures. Uh. uh yeah. Ish. I suppose that's as yeah, it's as good a descriptor as any, I suppose. Ape ape ish. Um what are those? What are those spiky things? Spiky things. Oh, those are ruins. Let's let's go though those are an interesting looking. Okay, so here we got a bit of wall. Up cliff. Oh, we got a cliff cliff go all the way around? No. Oh, hang on. No. I should face <laughs> My camera in the same direction that I'm looking. That would be good. Yeah. Oh, we've seen something like this before. Uh, was it near the entrance to Nesteldon? Yeah, I think it was like in the past, wasn't it? Yeah, I These think so. Like, but except like... it, it was, uh, it wasn't broken like this, was it? Were these all together before? Was this an arch once? It's broken yeah, off. I think it was a big metal arch like a, or something. Like a big like dome. That. Yeah, it's been broken. Archway. Down. It'd be huge, though. Look at this. This is like cyclopean nonsense here. Yeah, I and mean, this would be huge. What are they so housing in this area? Though that's what it looks like. Though all of the the pillars have all been broken off at the same. Um, at the you know in the same place, which, I mean, these looked like the needles of 
you know, sundials or something. Oh, 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 it's but, like, uh, it would be a vaulted thing over here with these four here, like a vaulted ceiling. Right. So, like, we'd be, from here, we'd be, like, right in the middle of the dome, right? Yeah. And these are not so far apart that they, those could make a dome if you connected them all. They're not perfectly arranged. And no, we don't get any true. hints, right? There's no carvings, no iconography anywhere. Nope, it's just kind of scuzzy. Yeah. Yeah, no, just a stone, which matches all the other stonework that we've seen. <laughs> the, the the tall spire looks a bit like uh, Narsil. Heh. <gasps> That's interesting. So, so are we meant... This... These structures, are they mm-hmm. evil structures? Are these ruins the ruins of evil buildings? Um, that is to say, are we looking at the ruins of fortifications built by the followers of the Witch King in ancient days? Or is this repurposed... I can't imagine it's Dunedine construction way up here, and we certainly see no evidence that it was. You'd think there'd be some stars somewhere remaining. Yeah. Oh, Turston posted, and uh, it's funny, I noticed the same thing just as you posted it, Durston, that all the structures are facing out, and they have those little uh, extra arches on the side. It makes them look like uh, flying buttresses. Hmm. It does indicate sort of a technology lost. We don't see a lot of, uh, you know, domed ceilings or anything like that, you know. In any of the modern buildings. In any of the other ones. So maybe this predates some of this architecture because it is hinting at a more artistic flair, flair design, someone yeah, with a better grasp of architecture. Yeah, perhaps. you can see it here. It's actually pretty well spaced out over here. Yeah, here, I'm, I'm looking sure. at this. Dark boundary up here to see if there's anything carved on it, but I don't see anything. Nothing. Well, it's got these horrible iron yeah, oxide looking things exactly. on the top. It's the iron bits that I was looking at. Yeah. Did you guys talk about this uh, triangular stone when you were down there? It looks like something from Orthanc. Triangular? What, the, the big spiky thing? Yeah, the big spiky thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking at the big spiky thing. Yeah. It's one of yeah. the, yeah. It looks like, looks like all the stone. other stalagmite kind of looking thing. Well, it's probably just indicates it's made out of a type of stone that didn't wear away like everything else did. Maybe. Though, um... Though, I don't know, with all of them... And so those other, those four down there that we were looking at look like they could be the Uh broken off bits of a dome. But, hang on. Can I drop off the cliff? Okay, I did fine. Um... But like this one here, this is obviously not anything to do with a dome. Because it's overlooking a cliff here. Yeah. So what is this? Is this is it in fact broken off? Or is that how it was meant to look? It looks intentional and they're all Let's broken see. off in the same place. Yeah, this the way the vaults are situating, it'd be supporting something down that cliff or something like that. Yeah. Which is a little hard to believe. I mean, maybe. Yeah, it is. Again, maybe, maybe those four, see those are the four that we were looking at down there. 
those four Maybe. again they could have been supporting a dome but uh, I don't know yeah, maybe this was maybe there was some rock past this part that fell over in a landslide. Maybe. It looks like a big riverbed down here. That's the thing I don't quite understand because where the four arches are standing, it'd be right near where those lakes dried up. It would get, that could have been an island, though. You see, on the on that rise where those four things. Yeah, are. yeah. That could be little, could have been an island in the lake or river that was here. Giant gazebo on the island. So maybe mm-hmm. this maybe. We're looking at a river that has expanded its bed since these things were built, and then before drying and then up dried completely. Out. Yeah, maybe. Ooh, well, that's interesting. If well, it does kind of look like that because you know the swamp is just over the hill over there too. Right. Mm-hmm. This would have been a mm-hmm. river. Right. Could have been some kind of a keep or something. Oh yeah, that, that whole swamp could even be like an oxbow lake or something. Right. Exactly. So the river would be flowing from the west into the east and ending in the swamp, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It, it, it is amazing. It still could be. You know, maybe it's a flash flood channel. You know? Right. Big rains yeah, and yeah. Angmar thing could turn into, you know, flash flood. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure they have plenty of flash floods at the amount of scrub the they got. down in Angmar. <laughs> 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 My kids are singing that nonstop now. Help me. <laughs> now, okay, so file a crow here. This is okay. We get this serpent sign, which we've seen the dragon slash serpent sign, mm-hmm. which we've seen on shields up in Alkire, and it's on yep. banners down here. Yep. And then you got these skulls. So now here's the Iron Crown. Um, here we got the Iron oh. Crown yep. on a banner with skulls and stuff. Right, so fine. Um, similar, the same kind of uh, half moon symbol that we saw, you know, on um, the Chieftain's hat and on the standards in Alkire. Uh, so you can see the connection here. Um, though we clearly have this, you know, the, the tribe that's gone over to, uh, to Angmar. Mm-hmm. But again here, what I want to point to is the symbol on the banner. And we're not seeing that symbol anywhere, even in the North Downs, for instance, we haven't seen any ruins that don't have something. Either they had, you know, Arthodyne or, 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 or Rudauer. Now, that was obviously, the North Downs is a much more thoroughly Dunedain-focused area than, uh, than this is, obviously. Um, but my point is, like, even the bad guy stuff had symbols. Um, and we've seen... We've seen, you know, bad guy symbols before. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just surprised there's nothing in the stonework. Yeah. If this was made in the time of the Witch King, I mean, surely the symbols of the Witch King would be etched somewhere, right? That's, that's true. At least you'd think. Some, some point in the future we're going to have to compare it to Karn Doom and give it a good combing over. Yeah. 
Well, I'm just, it's a, one of the things I'm kind of doing here is establishing the baseline, you know? Yeah. Uh, the thing that's most characteristic about these ruins is that ironwork around the top that we were uh-huh. looking at. And that we can see that's what gives these towers that characteristic, you know, makes them kind of look like Duplo block towers, you know, <laughs> uh, stacked up in the distance there. But with gothic accessories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more dark than Duplo blocks, admittedly, but... Uh, oh, the tent also has this fun sort of orange segment on it. Wait, there's a fun... I missed the fun orange segment. What's the fun orange segment? On top of the tent here. It looks like all the little metal things that they oh, have yeah. for accessories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yep, the little... Yeah, those whole... Yeah, uh, those little metal dealies. Yep. You can see yep. it here on the skull. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. I was just going to say, and of course, we have the usual skull decorations. Yeah, skull decorations, which is pretty much of a giveaway, right? Yeah, I mean, yes. between the, you know, pelvis fireplaces and <laughs> Goblin Town. The and pelvis the skull, fires in Goblin Town, absolutely. Oh, man. <laughs> the pelvis fires just don't get old. <laughs> nope. Yeah, so Katrina, exactly. I would expect to see the Iron Crown carved places, and even if it weren't, this is clearly not Rudauran. Uh, I mean, we yes. know the Ru- the Ru- uh, the Rudaur the Rudaurans were uh, allied with Angmar, but they had the Numenorean star all over the place, um, mm-hmm. or the perverted star. Yeah, yeah. Where did Narnian go? Oh, sorry. I'm. Um, we're up uh, by um, the encampment up here. Oh yeah. Well, so am I. I just don't see you. Um, I sorry. was going to ask you if you actually planned. Oh, there you are. Plan to go in there? Are you actually yeah. planning to go in there? Yeah, I was planning oh, to go in here. Okay. We should probably go on foot then. For right. yeah, we got the stone. Obvious right reasons. Gonna, it's not going to kill us. It's just going to give us dread. Okay. Okay, because th- this is a hillman fort, and uh huh. Okay, and we've got one of these things. Where have we seen these? Um, by Aren't the big the... watching stones, was it? And were they on the way up on that uh, trail up to Angmar that we Yeah, yeah, yes. a few months ago. Uh huh. Yes. Is that a Is face it... up there on the top? It's funny. It almost just... looks like a lotus. You know, I mean, it looks a little bit yeah. more enlightened than you know you would expect. Yeah, a bit elven for these guys. Exactly. Yeah, yes, yeah, it does it look elvish. It doesn't look very evil. Um, or hillmanish. Even. Or hillmanish. No, it looks kind of like a spearhead, but it also looks kind of like the the ship symbol. And not, it's not the ship symbol of the Numenorians that we see in even dim, but the shape of no. it reminds me of that vaguely. Um, yeah. So it reminds me of the, some leaves of Lorien stuff we're going to see later on in later yeah. worlds. Yeah, it does. And it doesn't look no like it's been shaped too. by crude tools of Hillman or, or fashioned by mad artists inspired by eldritch gods like the watching stones. Like the right watching stones, yes, exactly. Nor does it look to be made of the same stone. No. It's almost a metallic. Yeah, it does almost look like bronze or something. Um, this is probably some deep magic. <laughs> yeah, I don't really get that. And then here's a watching stone, which is very similar. Very eldritch. To 
the other one, though not identical to the other yeah. statue. Yeah, this one's got little dealy horns instead of the more yeah. um, alien-looking head. Oh, it's got its mouth open. Yeah, the horns sticking forward give it a, a different kind of look. Still clearly of the same species, however. Dreadful in its goofiness. Right, and then we've got the two banners. And this is the banner, then, of the hillmen who serve the Iron Crown? Um, yes, this is a hill. Yeah, this well, this is both a Hillman site and an Angmarm sorcerer site here. Right. More of that same rock. Is it? Hmm. It's quite cool. Right. Right. Mm, other not side. Something... Other side. We get to see the, not... the evil rights going on. Yeah. Exactly. Not something you'd want to lean back. Lean your back against and have a picnic, necessarily. Well, the hobbits would do it anyway, though. Yeah, they probably would. They probably would. Now, obviously, the palisade, the wooden palisade, is a late construction, obviously, by presumably by the hillmen, who are fortifying yeah, yeah. this place, which looks like, given the fact that this wall is broken off, and we have those towers over there. You got to imagine there was a curtain wall is, down here where the palisade was and Is that a design in the iron those three iron things? Up on top? Yeah. Let me oh, change there. my graphics. There is. It's a design. It looks a lot like that that elven looking evil rock. Looks like three leaves or something? Hmm. I can't get is much it a clearer. Head? It looks a bit like not work. Yeah. Looks abstract in origin. Still, that's the closest thing we've seen to some sort of design on these. It is. Reminds me a bit of those ivy leaves we see all over the, the, the Rudaran buildings. Yeah. Hmm. That is interesting. That is. Well, there we go. There's the first spark of uh, artistic flair. Of something, yes, exactly. And it looks like, was there a wall across this? Maybe. A little hard to tell. This, Whatever it was, you know, this fortress is so beat up. There's not enough left down here to really piece it together. But we've seen <laughs> things like that in... filthy and moth-eaten over here. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen things like that in Fornost as well. Okay, now mm -hmm. here we have the Angrim Sorcerer's uh, ritual. ritual. Nobody, nobody killed them yet. Nobody killed them yet. We're going to... Oh. oh, never mind. That's okay. <laughs> we got them. That's all right. I, I got them. Hey, then, I got a steel token out of it. Okay, then he's going to deal with them. Yeah. And then we've got the... The spirit is freed with the death of the Actually, sorcerer. Actually, he's, he's going to go after the... Oh, okay. me, well, apparently. If, if yeah. he was left to his own devices, he would have actually attacked the... Uh, the, the Duvardine. Right. Yeah, he does. I was actually up here one time on level, and um, I saw some guys running around the corner. I thought they were players, you know, and they were running away from the spell spirit, so I went to help. <laughs> they were Duvardine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he actually... He, and then he, they he goes all came and fought me. Yeah. Okay. yeah you could. Right, yes, and, the, and then they forget their differences as soon as... Uh, yeah, yeah, and then they come after me, right. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that was totally that you don't have enough badges to control me kind of moment. Right. Okay, so this 
statue. Why they put a picnic blanket out there? Well, and this this one is screaming. The other one out in front was not oh, leaning oh, forward yeah, and screaming like this. Bent over like that. Yeah, like he's in the middle of shrieking. <laughs> I don't think that's what he's shrieking. But, okay, so that's interesting. So he is active, whereas, like, he's in mid-action where the others were just standing there. Mm-hmm. And Notice the, we don't have a dread thing now that the spirit's dead. Right. Okay, so at the base of this spirit, the ritual was being performed to enslave that spirit? Here it yes, is and put it into a stone into for the, the watching wardens. Yeah. yeah. Because they're beating on the... St- no, they're beating on the halfling. Okay. Um, yeah, it's... Please don't let them interfere. I shall deal with you. All right, now he's going to deal with us and be swiftly dealt with himself, and then the spirit's going to be free, and there aren't any Duverdine to attack, so he's going to go after... Oh, yes. ...somebody else. Right. But he was a fell spirit who yes. was not free. Was being well, he was he was being enslaved. Whether he, what uh, he was doing he was, before then, I don't know. He was in the enslavement process. Yes. Okay. Whether then he was free before then or in some sort of phantom zone, who knows? And it was an Angmarim sorcerer with the Hillman as his mm-hmm. guards. For there. most people, this is their first Angmarim kill in this area. Right. Right. Um. And we had two more of those spearhead. Uh, I think that must be an Angmarim symbol, then. This. If it's the okay. way that they're set up around the. This. Unless they were instructed by the Angmarim to do so. Yeah. No, I'm just thinking those, those spiky stone things. These. It doesn't look like anything else we've seen in the Duvardain camps, though. Well, not in Alkire, but that's why I think this must be a those must be Angmarim things. No. Huh. Yeah, I agree. Then we get it up here too. Yeah, it's too elegant looking. Right, it doesn't fit with the rest of the Hillman stuff. Yeah, most of their stuff's worked in bronze or stone. Right. And I not even at... like work stone. A lot of it's just rough stone. Even their weaponry is not as impressive as the weaponry of the... Okay, this is similar shields and stuff. So yeah, mm-hmm. we can see the... Uh, you know, the sort of the connectedness of these clans, right? Uh-huh. This clan that serves Angmar with the clan that does not... And Wait, do you notice that this is this palisade is actually built against ruins? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're clearly using the ruins. And up here it's a little easier to put together where the ruins were. We can see that was a gateway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now but they've extended it because the wall you know, the curtain wall over here broke down. Yeah, it's a bit of patching to do. Yeah. Another Angmarim stone. And then a, another layer. And this was a would have been an excellent, you know, sort of concentric fortification continuing to go up and in. Right. Right. 
And now this looks like the central keep here. Is there a gate behind it, or is this just a big courtyard? I don't think I've ever been courtyard. up here before. <laughs> I don't think I had either. I don't think anything sends us up here, does it? I don't think nope. so. I'm pretty sure it's why I never have been. Yeah, other no, you would, yeah, other you would than know the Slayer deed. I would know, exactly. Completionist. <laughs> exactly. I, I think this is it. just if you want to complete the Slayer deed. <laughs> yeah, I, I have one page left. These, uh, one of these guys might have, so I'm killing as many as I can find. I'm now thinking about how many times I circled around that old camp trying to get more information. No, I could have just no gone up, up here. That hill. And there's another one of those spiky things right next to the wall. And uh -huh. here it does look very buttress-like, but the spiky thing on top sticks up above the wall. I mean, that seems totally irrelevant. Yeah, and that extra, that little arch means it's supporting the wall in, in the other direction. Like, this is, we're outside the wall. Right. That it's supposed yeah. to be going in. Right, exactly. Yeah, and see, there's another one there. And this looks like a gateway to an inner keep, yeah. but there's no gate in that wall behind the tent. Mm. By that, I am puzzled. Maybe it got bricked up. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. It got bricked up. That's yeah. what it looks got like. Got bricked up. There's a groove. There's some guy here. behind there asking for it a Monteado. looks like a gate of some kind. There's two grooves. Right. Two big grooves here. Oh, I got to investigate now. Uh, yes, it looks like at some point there was something here. These metal right. this tracks. This is where I was expecting it. Yeah. Oh, this is where the elevator was. Right. Yeah, so this central section, well, it doesn't look any newer than the rest of it. Drawbridge? Wow. Ladders, maybe. Maybe this was ladders to get up to the archery gallery. Maybe. Which would have been made out of wood so they'd rot away. I don't know. You think we're putting more thought into this than the devs did? Oh well, that uh -huh. hardly matters. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, I'd That's like been, to think I they put even a have lot. said that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I'm just looking at that. Oh, I just noticed that the the shield stand is made up of spears bound together. That's interesting. Everything's made of spears. The tent poles are made of spears. Oh right, because they stick out up at the top. Yeah. Yep. Really long. It's like they're trying spires. to put holes in stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. I see all the spears over here. Oh, what's with this chest? Nah, eh, it's probably just got junk just in it. chest. Yeah. Well, if you're level 45 or something, go ahead. Right. And a big old bonfire in the middle of camp. Okay. Mm -hmm. The sky is really interesting up here. I know. It's like especially, electronic discharge or something. Yeah, and especially around with the sun up. It, uh -huh. like it's kind of like perverted northern lights, except it's daytime. Yeah, like some sort of force fields over everything. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the designs look like rippling water. Yeah, like they out. do. Huh. 
Yeah, I love when it just goes zit like that and you see everything. At nighttime, it's even more fun because it's green. Yes. But yes. yeah, you can see where the sun's supposed to be, but we're just not getting any of it, which explains why everything's dead here. Okay, we're, we're now looking back this uh, toward from this vantage point. is a good vantage point to look back where we came to. That's wow. the slope to Alkire up over there, I believe. Uh-huh. Yep, because there's that big, huge curtain wall up above where Alkire is. So that's the gap to Alkire that we're looking at down there. Mm-hmm. So this looks like it was a big fortification. We still haven't really seen any images, any... Uh, um any any pictures and we've seen banners but no no carvings and homes no homes other than just the mobile stuff this is just right. things to protect other things exactly yeah we haven't seen any any city so again in trying to reconstruct what angmar would have looked like we're not getting too far yet other than just fortifications not- continually Layer upon layer of fortification. Which is what you get when you're a massive power and nobody likes you. Right, I guess. Maybe everybody lives on the inside. <laughs> well, it's clear to see that the Witch King didn't fear, you know, had, had feared somebody. Yes. He wouldn't have bothered with this much. Yes. Uh, feared somebody from the south, right? It's clearly Arnor yes. that this is oriented towards all this stuff. Mm-hmm. From the pass, of, you know, from Arakair on. Now that would be Karndoom? Yes. Up on the mountain, that's Karndoom. Yep. Oh. We have to go there, you know. Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. Hopefully on Landreval. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to make it a Landreval. I think we might. Tonight. Okay, so uh, n- next we will go up to uh, these two other cities whom, whose names I forget. Fashvahoid? Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, I've kept you guys. I've kept everybody up really late tonight. I should let everybody go. Um, but yeah, well, it, it's just the, my last observation here is that Carndoom uh, up on the mountaintop there looks very similar in its stone and construction to the city that's down in the valley here. Yep. So we will start with those cities in the valley, then I'm going to want to loop back around. We're not, obviously not going to get to Carndoom from here. Uh, we've got to loop all the way around. Um, but yeah, I want to go over... Go the watching stones. <laughs> exactly. So I want to look at these two towns, and then I want to come back around and look at this uh, uh, orc hold down here. All right. Then after we finish that, we'll get into Malanhad and, and, uh, and then maybe as far as the watchstones. Which uh, I'm kind of trying to put off, but eventually we will have to cross them. All right. Yes, we will. That's book one. Book one. Volume, you held up pretty well for being an injured dude. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I had a couple. Yeah, man, I, a couple. I, I uh, you. Near moments there, but we did all right. Mm. Thank you, everybody, for Strider joining us. Strider would approve you to go Thank with the fellowship. You. That's good. Yes. Thank you. Yes, I. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, clearly made of stern stuff. You can tell by yes. how boldly I sat here and talked for several yeah, hours on end. Right. Yeah. Right. Just like Outrand. <laughs> exactly. Sitting and talking for several hours on end. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. And I will see you guys next week. We have a, a, a nice little stretch here in May uh, where, as far as I know, barring uh, further injury, I should be able to uh, to be here every week for uh, uh, for the rest of May. So um, All right. I'll see you guys awesome. next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. 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 Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.